Joey Chestnut let us down. But see, I thought you weren't into that the way I'm no, not. Not into at it. all. I'm not at all. It, it, it's revolting, but he let me down. How so? Well, had he gone 99 hot dogs yeah. for episode 99, oh, gotcha, yeah. it would have been perfect. That would have been perfect. Yeah. You watched it or no? No, no, I would never, ever watch that. If I, if I happen to stumble upon it, even highlights of it, I can't shift it off quick enough. It's just, to me, it's the most disgu- one of the most disgusting things. I'd rather watch a horror movie, <laughs> and I don't want to watch a horror movie, than watch Joey Chestnut. But I will say this, I am captivated by the accomplishment. I just don't want to watch it. Yeah, fair enough. Your your uh, friend of the show, Peter King, was taking some heat on his Uh-oh. competitive eating oh, comments. What did he say? Exactly what you just said. He can't stand it. He thinks it's... Re- and honestly, to be fair to him, somebody else tweeted out how it's revolting, it's disgusting, and all Peter, right. Peter King just said what he said. That was his tweet, agreeing with him, and people were coming at him. You, you really? know you could turn the channel off, don't you? you? You don't have to watch it. Yeah, and that's what I do. I I, I don't want to watch it. I, I am intrigued by the accomplishment yeah. of 75 hot dogs in 10 minutes, so much so that I've actually looked it up, 25,000 calories in 10 minutes. <laughs> 25,000 yeah. calories. It's very impressive. I'm just telling you, I don't want to watch it. I think the whole fast eating thing yeah. on TV, I don't want to see the highlights. I just want to be able to read how many did he, did he have the record? Did he win it again? Like his 13th year. And I was kind of secretly hoping for 99 hot dogs. I could maybe 99 hot it. dogs would have put him in the, in the, in the conversation with the great one, Wayne Gretzky. Wasn't that an 80 song? 99 red hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> but when they started dunking it in the water. That's when they kind of lost me. That they dunk, just is disgusting. They dunk the, the bread. Hot dogs. No, they dunk the bread, I think. Oh, okay. I don't know. Because it's easier to eat the bread. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. They should have to eat like just legit. Like a hot dog. Yeah. yeah, I don't want yeah. that. But so people are going after Peter King. Like, oh. Really three, hard. 300 pounds and you don't like competitive eating. Oh, do we I, have to go is there? Is that fair? <laughs> I mean, it, it, what are, yeah. So they were, they were going after him I just don't want to watch it. I don't, I don't know what, I don't know how Peter King feels about it. He doesn't like it. Okay. He made his, I, I don't know what he doesn't like about it. I'm telling you what I don't like about it. Yeah. I don't want to watch it. I don't want you to send me tickets to it. I don't want to watch <laughs> it. I don't want to see highlights on Sports Center. I don't want to watch it as it's happening, but I do want to know. I am interested enough to know, okay, what happened in the competition. I yeah. just don't want to watch it. That's all. I went to a chicken eat, chicken wing eating contest when I was working for KJR. You went to it or you performed in it? Well, no, I didn't. <laughs> Softy wanted me to. Yeah. It was Softy's event. Yeah. So the, the poor gas man got talked into doing it. Oh, boy. And uh, one of his front teeth came out. The gas man's front doofa came out? It sure did. <laughs> he looked like Leon Spinks? Yes. And I felt so... He didn't want to do it anyway. It came out. It came out. Oh, no. I don't know if it's a false one. I hope it's a false one. Oh, gee, well, it is now. <laughs> yeah, it is the, I mean... The, you know what Chi Chi Rodriguez says? <laughs> be, true to, be true to your teeth or they'll be false to you. <laughs> I mean, Softy was oh, badgering gas gosh. to do this contest and he, he loses a tooth. Oh God! So I don't know. Who it G- came right out. Came he- right out. He's holding it. He had to go to the he dentist. Didn't swallow. <laughs> Face is orange. I'm like, oh Jesus, poor guy. Yeah, he's lucky he didn't swallow it. So every time, like that was 25 years ago. Every time I eat chicken wings, I think of that that moment. I think on July 5th, and we can get into the whole July 4th thing. I think on July 5th's radio show every year, I ask the question, and people don't believe what I say when I answer my own question, okay. which is how many hot dogs? I mean, not in a speed eating contest. Yeah. If you went to a barbecue and the good Lord on your way over said, 
It's I'm gonna, I'm gonna grant you clemency. Oh. He's gonna grant you clemency. It's not gonna affect your body. Nothing. Oh, love it. Okay. <laughs> okay. I have so a baseline you, for okay, you. But go so, on. so you go over, you go over to a barbecue, and there is absolutely no. It's almost as if you had nothing to eat. You can eat as many as you want okay. because you've been granted clemency by the good Lord oh, above. That'd be so great. When and I'm, so you just eat as many as. It, so you decide, okay, well, then I'm just going to eat as many until I'm full. I'm just going to keep eating them yeah. until full. I'm not going to make myself sick, but I'm going to eat. How many in that scenario? So people don't believe uh, when I, I'm going to answer the question. Okay. But how many in that scenario would you eat? Well, I'm a different eater than I was 60 pounds ago or 50 probably now. Yeah. When I'm a kid, I ate 11. I ate eight with the bun and three without when we were camping one time. So that's, that's the highlight of my, but nowadays I could probably do like no size or anything. Three and a half, four. Oh my God. Do you think I could do more? Yes. Oh really? Well, I hope hot dogs. I, I can't eat like I used to. How many can you do? 10 easy. Oh really? Oh, in a, in a heartbeat. Well, in a heartbeat. First of all, I like them. Second of all, <laughs> okay, that's a good start. I like, <laughs> yeah, all right, I like hot dogs. Yeah, right. I don't think people wanted this from episode ninety-nine. You have but the, anyway, the palate of a nine-year-old. We all know that. I love hot. Yes, I do. Yeah, I do. I, I do have a palate of a nine-year-old. Yeah, you do. I do. I love kids' food. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Now I love kids. This foods. is going to divide divide the entire audience of what you put on a hot dog. You're an East Coast guy. I'm guessing no ketchup. Well, the tr no, the truth of the matter is I have a number of different ways I would eat it. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think the most common way for me is with ketchup <laughs> oh, and mustard together. I'm surprised. I'll throw a little relish on there every once in a while. Oh, no, okay. no, 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 no. I had you pegged completely wrong. No, no, wrong. I am not picky. I don't want mushrooms huh? on it. When it comes to my, my oh, okay. hot dogs, <laughs> I am not picky, but I could eat a lot of them. And if I came to a barbecue and I was granted clemency on the way over... <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's not the right expression, I by know the what way. You mean, but I think people know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't a 10 minute thing. It was just, hey, I'm going to eat. Yeah. I'm just going to eat hot dogs at the barbecue as long as I'm there and as long as I'm hungry. Oh, are you kidding me? 10 easy. Wow. Easy. So what's so like it like going down smooth? The, the only thing holding you back is the what it would do yeah, to your body. Never, oh, my God. I'm so concerned about what everything does to my body. <laughs> OK. Yeah, I'm concerned. I was going to say live. I'm show. a hypochondriac. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of grew up with one of those, so I'm the opposite. Which one? Your sister? One of your sisters? One of my parents. One of your parents. So I'm, I'm, I have like adverse yeah. feelings about yeah. people who are hypochondriacs. Yeah. Well, so the bad news as I start episode 90, we haven't even started episode oh, yeah, 99 right. yet, is that Joey Chestnut let us down. He only won by 33 hot dogs, by the way. Jeez. He beat the guy. I mean, this is, this is Tiger Woods at the U.S. Open of 2000. You don't know what that is. This is Michael Jordan. This is, I mean, this is, he's just blowing people away now. Now it's not even funny. For a couple not guys who can't stand competitive eating, we've, we've talked about it. <laughs> now, what about, Enough. what happened to Kobayashi? He was the, he was the, he was oh, the I Tiger think, Woods for a while. Yeah, I think he's in jail or something. No, did, he, did he get in I, trouble? No, I don't know. Oh, okay, because I thought he was no, the best ever. I, I don't even think he's, I don't even know if he's in it anymore. Okay. I don't know. Episode 99. So that's it. So, right. no, so Joey Chess, it's not going to be named after Joe. Now, I have good news and I have bad news about episode 99. Which oh. would you like first? Well, I always go bad news first. Bad news first. We are one away from the <laughs> oh, century geez. mark. And I still have nothing dramatic or oh. special planned. So it looks like that 100 will be just a typical one-star Mitch Unfiltered podcast. <laughs> How else was that going to go, though? How else could it go for this That's podcast? That's the bad news. Okay. The good news? You want the good news? Yeah, sure. 99. Yeah. Got to be one of the easiest, if not the easiest of all time to name. And I just told you. I just said it to you. You must, must have gone right over your head. I kind of mentioned him. The great one? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't hear you mention him. Yeah. It's not Mark Gastineau? Well, actually... You're going to hear when we start officially a lot of good 99s. A lot of, I didn't think I was going to get any good 99s. Hmm. I got a lot of good, but come on. 
I mean, 99 yeah. is one guy, unless Joey Chestnut happens to eat 99 <laughs> hot dogs on the day before you, you record the, the podcast. So that's so that's the story. All right. Are we going to go through them or are you going to do it later? Yeah, I'll do it when we start. All right. Oh, yeah. We haven't yeah. started. I forgot. Yeah. So uh, this and all episodes, all other 98 episodes of Mitch Unfiltered can be heard on all podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts. You just have to hit the subscribe button. Maybe in honor of us making it to 99, uh, those of you that have not written a review and rated us might do so. Right. Might right. say, hey, okay, they made it to 99. Let me go into there and and, and give them a five star and write a little review. Hot Shot's great. That, Mitch oh, sucks. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, yes. Whatever. Exactly write that. Write us a little, a, little, a little review and rate us because we made it almost to 100 episodes. And if you enjoy our little show, you know, it's been called a little show yeah. in the past, and would like a second little show each week, Consider becoming a patron at just $5 a month. MitchUnfiltered.com. Click on Become a Patron. I love our random streams of consciousness, especially on the P episodes. I feel like we are all, maybe we are on these shows too, but I feel like on the P shows in particular, Hmm. we find ourselves all over the board. Like 98P last week. Yeah. We went. It's a hot Pam Dauber talk. We went. (laughs) I got it in. (laughs) We got Junior Bonilla yeah. Dauber. Right. It's been said many times, the great three. Junior Bonilla, Bonilla Dauber. Yeah. Uh, Newton Belichick Airplane and Hotel Cleanliness. Mitch's Antibody Tests. Bernie Madoff. Seahawks Season Ticket Holders. Video Games. Fleshlights. <laughs> Carl Ryder and more. God. That's a lot of range, isn't it? And by the way, I have it. That's just... That's just some. I, I can't. I, I try to sit down with the P episodes and, and figure out all the different references. We, we are all over the map yeah. on P episodes. And we it still makes have it fun. Three guests, too. We always have three yeah, great we all, guests. Always, on. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a full episode, but our, our streams of consciousness. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> if you're a patron and you'd like easy instructions on how to get the P shows to automatically appear on your normal podcast app, all you got to do is send me an email. I love emails. They come straight to me. The email box, and if I'll you like t- it. I love it. I love the email box. <laughs> Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. You can send me an email. Or if you just want to comment on the on the, on the the old podcast. I was going to call it a radio show. On the old podcast. Sure. Like Alex from Cincinnati, Ohio. Really? Yeah. We're big in Cincinnati. Yeah. Would you like to hear what Alex wrote me from Cincinnati, Ohio? It's 50-50 on whether I want to hear it. Mitch, you ignorant slut. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Do you remember? Do you know the reference? Saturday Night Live? Yeah, from the beginning. Were yeah. you were you watching at the beginning? Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin. I was zero when it started. Okay. It was 1974. Oh, your year. My year I was born. But yeah. I, I do know the... It was point... It was Point counterpoint. Point counterpoint. Yeah, yeah. And Aykroyd on every show would start, Jane, you ignorant slut. Imagine doing that now on SNL. So, yeah. No. Mitch, you ignorant slut. <laughs> How Griffey treated people in Seattle is immaterial. When he got here, he was a new man, clearly relieved to be out of Loserville. Oh, Signed, wow. Alex. Loserville. Just taken an absolute swing at me, at Seattle, at yeah. Seattle sports, at Seattle sports fans. What would the Cincinnati media say to that? That he was a different man when he got to Cincinnati. Don't think they'd agree with that. I have but a I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Hey, Mitch, idea for 100. Gotta have new Heisel on. It wouldn't be a celebration without him. Andy and Ann Arbor. So we've gone from Cincinnati, Alex in Cincinnati. The next note is from Andy and Ann Arbor, Michigan. And by the way, he oh. writes, P.S., disappointed that Max didn't give us a shot. 
Oh, yeah. So Ann Arbor, Andy says, New Heisel for show 100. I've got good news and I've got bad news. Which would you like first? Oh, boy, bad news. He's not going to be on 100. Okay. Because he's going to be on this episode 99. Is that right? He couldn't wait to 100. <laughs> I like it. So he's on episode the dessert 99. dessert first. Hi, Mitch. Tore my Achilles last week. Oh, boy. Surgery yesterday. I remember you talking about your tear on the old radio show. Just wondering if you have any tips on how you got through it and rehab. Internet's got me worried about the outcome. Would you say you got back to 100%? I'm 62 years old, so lots older than you were. Thanks, Boyd. What do you have to say to Boyd who just tore his Achilles tendon, ruptured his Achilles tendon, had the surgery? I've never gone through it. I have. It does not sound good. I mean, that's like one of the worst. I can't even think about it without cringing. And I did it. If I told you to guess how I did it, you'd be able to guess in the first try. I did it just the way every middle-aged person in the world ruptures their Achilles. Were you running backwards in basketball? I was running in basketball. Yeah, basketball. Three minutes after the game started. Bam, I thought that a ball came off the floor and yeah. came off the sidelines and hit me in the back of the leg. I was like, who threw that ball? Oh. And I looked down, there's no ball, and I can't move my, my leg. And I'm done. I ripped my... Straight to the, straight to the uh, ER, or straight to, yeah, straight to the ER where yeah. they misdiagnosed me. Thank you very much, Overlake. Nice. Uh, and then I went to a specialist a few days later thinking that I had not torn my Achilles because the ER people told me I hadn't done it. I <laughs> just wanted to get rid of you. And then, <laughs> yeah, be off with you. <laughs> right. And then I was given the news that I had to have surgery i ripped my calf muscle almost off my bone playing basketball Ooh, yeah and but it was the same thing it felt like somebody punched me in the back right, of my calf right in the back of your calf I just, you probably thought you did it the achilles well i wasn't i just knew something was wrong okay i didn't say bye to anyone yeah. <laughs> rob laughs about it to this day rob right. i just i just walk i don't say bye I, I just i knew i was done right i knew it i just right. knew right away right but i heard that when dominique ruptured his achilles this is oh. what did it for me yeah that he he like he broke the whole thing like in it, like it it rolls up. They said it spirals yeah, up it your rolls little, right up. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a little lump on your cat. Yeah, right, yeah, oh my yeah, God, yeah. That's awful. Yeah. So what do you have to say to a 62 year old friend of ours? Is it was it a tough rehab? Because the rehab sucked for my calf. It was Here's awful. what I remember. I was probably I was probably 40 years old when I did. I don't remember what year it was, but I was probably about 40. I remember thinking I'll never be the same. And so I had a really low bar. I really, I really, my mind was playing tricks on me because I'm a hypochondriac. My mind was playing tricks on me. I'll never be the same. And I think I got close. I think, I think I got very, very close to 100%. Okay. My calves have never quite looked exactly the same. My one calf looks a little different than the other, but yeah, lots of a year. Yeah. The surgery is a, is a, it's just a problem. The whole thing is just an annoyance. You know, the, the block that they put into you, that they put the block in so you can't feel your, your. You can't feel the surgery. Plus, they put you asleep. I think they put me. Yeah, they put me asleep. What do you mean block? They the first. Well, here this is actually. Uh, if I ever do a stand-up show, I'll I'll, I'll bring this okay. up. Okay. Block is. <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking of my stand-up time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, block is they put they put they put blo- they put a big needle in you and they numb oh. the entire leg and toes and feet. Okay. All right. And then they put you to sleep. Which makes me wonder, why don't they put you asleep before they do the block? Oh, that's true. So I guess. you don't feel the block. Yeah. I, don't, I, I still don't understand that. I've never really asked anybody. Cause well, in case it's not working, maybe you can still feel your toes I don't, or I don't something. Know. They want to ask But the worst you. part of the block is then it's, then it's numb for like 
three or four days. Oh. You can't feel your toes. After sur- you go home after surgery, you're laid up in bed. You can't feel your toes. You can't feel your leg. And you start to get, and it starts to creep into your mind. And the doctor tells you, look, it's natural. You're yeah. not going to feel, don't get, don't get, pan- and you panic anyway. You're thinking, I'm never going to walk you, again. I'm never going to feel my, I mean, it's yeah. the worst feeling. Uh, N- a numb foot for like numb toes. That's weird, yeah. For like four or five days. Yeah, it was just, yeah, no. Don't tear your Achilles. Not good. Yeah, I, I see people my age playing basketball. Hey, the worst part about having this injury for my calf was when I play basketball now, I'll go up for a rebound, and I'll literally think while I'm getting the ball, right. I hope I don't come down on someone's foot. I never used to have those kinds of thoughts, but it, like, it changed me. Are you friends with uh, Matt Stretch Johnson? Yeah, we're friendly. So, someday, ask Matt Stretch Johnson about the day that Mitch tore his Achilles. He was running your board? It's an unbelievable story. Okay. Because I was doing the show that morning, and I was going to go play pickup basketball that, that afternoon. And I said to Stretch after the show, I'm, gonna tear, I'm afraid I'm going to tear my Achilles. Self-fulfilling prophecy. And he what said, here's what I want you to do. He starts, and he and I in the sports pit are going through stretches that he wants me to do because oh. he's a soccer player. <laughs> How'd that work? Dr. Stretch. <laughs> right. Dr. Matt Stretch Johnson. A soccer player. And I go to the gym and I'm the whole way over, I've told people and I'm, I'm convinced I'm going to rupture my Achilles because yeah. I hadn't played pickup basketball in a while. Oh, so I go God. to the gym and the other game is going on and it's going on for like, it's at the very beginning of the of the game before, so there's a lot of time. Okay. So I'm doing this over and over. The things that he's telling me with the step oh. and the whole thing, yeah, yeah. I'm just totally and I'm I, and I'm telling you, two minutes into the oh. game, I rupture my Achilles. Self, would you say a self self fulfilling prophecy? Self fulfilling yeah. prophecy. I totally predicted it. I can't predict a, a game's outcome. I can't predict <laughs> right. a football score, <laughs> but I can predict a ruptured Achilles on my own behalf. Was it your left or right? I mean, were you able to drive? My left. Okay, so you could drive. My left. Big scar going up my... Oh, Oh, yeah. All right. Enough. Enough Achilles talk. Dear Mitch, after listening to episodes 98 and 98P, I think I have an answer to your Griffey confusion. We had confusion? Yeah, remember? The guy that came up to him... He didn't want to admit oh, that he was a Bellingham. Right. This is all 98 piece. The gotcha. people didn't hear 98 piece. They don't know what we're talking about. I, I have an answer to your Griffey's conclusion. This is kind of a long email, but listen, okay. hear it out. The answer is he's a liar. Okay. I'm a lifelong left-handed Seattle sports fan who has been a fan of Griffey Jr. for as long as I can remember. With that said, I realized at a young age from his uh, problems, his mental problems and personal problems that he is a trouble-minded person not uncommon to great athletes my own personal encounter with him came only a couple of years ago a friend of mine is trent henderson the son of the late hendu oh sure i knew dave on i donated some of my griffey memorabilia to the foundation trent is now managing for dave so that griffey could sign it and we could auction it off while Griffey was in town for his number being retired, you remember that, he was supposed to meet us to get the item signed to then go to the auction. At the last minute, he canceled on us but requested we send the items to his home address so he could sign the items and send them back for the next year's auction. Trent packages everything up, sends it out. Once the tracking info said it was delivered, Trent texts Griffey to make sure he got them. Griffey replies to several text attempts saying he never got them, even though the tracking info said that they were delivered and handled. Even though I still hold Griffey in high regard, I think he's extremely selfish and has no problem lying to anyone about matters he doesn't want to deal with. 
Signed, Tyler. Our listener in Cincinnati is not going to be happy about that. Well, here's the next email that came in. Okay. Dear Mitch, I don't doubt your observations about Junior the person, but just know that he was at times terrific with kids, especially those who were less fortunate and others who were ill. His behavior needs to be examined on a wide lens, just like everyone else's, Mitch, including yours. It's only fair. Happy fourth. Happy fourth. <laughs> Bob in San Diego. So Happy San- fourth. <laughs> Takes a shot at you. <laughs> Hope you enjoy your holiday. God, that's awesome. Uh, I'm glad we have listeners in California. Though. Uh, hey, welcome, welcome. We have Michigan, we have Ohio, yeah. and California. Dear Mitch, the Jim McMahon interview was fantastic. Yeah. A perfect example of why Unfiltered is literally 10 times better than anything on either sports radio station. Signed, Larry. Dear Mitch, the McMahon interview was overhyped and mediocre at best. Oh, boy, here we go. He's a bullshit artist, but I loved Kirk Jean and hats off for you shining the light on the Julius Jones death row story. I don't have a, a name. So those are back to back. Overhyped and mediocre. It was fantastic. So to, if you had to do it over again, <laughs> would you have Jim McMahon on or not? Yes. Okay, you're not going to listen to this You know guy. why? Because I like it. Because you like it, yeah. yeah. It's almost not a fair fight with radio shows. I mean, you have... 30 minutes or 20 you can you have a long time to spend with him where right. radio shows get eight minutes and gotta go and so yeah it was great i loved it. i loved this long form Amazing. he he was he was really good what, i mean sorry to the guy that didn't like him and thought it was mediocre but what part was he a bullshit artist about i don't nah. think he's suggesting that sounds to me like a green bay pack oh there fan. you go <laughs> yeah, that's <right>. patriot I, fan <laughs> I, I didn't want to say that because it would it would come off like okay mitch is now giving an excuse why somebody wouldn't like one of his interviews. Gotcha, so I didn't yeah. really want to say that, but it's just, I don't know. Fair enough. All right. I don't know. Yeah. 99 guests line up for this episode. 99. We haven't still, we still haven't started oh, yet. Boy. We have to start. Uh, do you remember the name Andy Bennis? Hotshot Scott. Pitcher for the Mariners. Yes. What do you remember about him? He was on the 95 team. He was. He was a starter. He was. Did he come from San Diego? He did. I'm going to give you bell rings because you surprise me every, uh, every once in a while. We didn't rehearse this, right? Did but, we rehearse this? Did I give you this? Did I give you this information? You and I rehearse. You think it would sound like this every <laughs> week? I mean, holy shit. <laughs> Does it sound like we rehearse stuff? Um, I don't remember how he got to Seattle, though. Maybe that's okay. what you're getting at. No, I'm not getting at anything. Oh, okay. He was, a, he was the first overall pick in the draft oh, wow. by San Diego out of college. Okay. And he came here for two months. Three months. He was he was acquired in the middle oh. of the '95 season. He literally started 11 regular season games. That's weird. Down the stretch, and then he was in the playoffs. And he also happened to have started the most famous game in Mariners history. He was the starting pitcher in the most famous game still to this day in Mariners history. You know what game that game was? Game five of the Yankee series. Correct. Yeah. He was, he was starter. Okay. the starter for the Mariners in that game that Randy Johnson came out of the bullpen and yeah. Edgar had the hit and Junior scored from first. Randy and gave up a base hit too, by the way. Randy gave up a run. Randy was on the hook to be the losing pitcher That's in right. that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Andy Bennis. So we caught up, or I caught up with Andy Bennis, had no idea what to expect, and it was beautiful. Really? Be- the interview was That's beautiful. Great. Because not only do we reminisce about his two and a half months here. Yeah. And that game and the postseason and that run to save, run. The, save the, the, the team and to build Safeco Field. We talk about all that. Great. But then he graduates to not liking himself very much and having to make some personal, having some personal issues and having to make some changes hmm. and how he struggled with balancing 
his job and reputation with being a family person and a husband. I mean, it is it is terrific. Great. It is a chat that we should all, especially me, should listen to. He's the he's interview number one on 99. Okay. A little stump the band 95 Mariner trivia for sure. you. Game one of the ALCS was in the Kingdom, if I remember correctly. Yep, who because they hosted the, the Cleveland Indians. In Cleveland Indians. Who yeah. was the starting pitcher for the Mariners? That would be Bob Wolcott. Oh, look at you. I forgot who I'm talking to. <laughs> I mean, it, I'll ask a thousand people on you the street. You don't know anything about sports, Mitch. <laughs> That's right. I remember his and hat. Don't, don't try to make us. Hotshot told you he was going to ask right. you that question before you guys started. <laughs> That's your only strength is sports knowledge. But I remember Bob, <laughs> <laughs> Bob Wolcott's hat had Hot that. Hot dog eating. He had that, that white salt. He was like as sweaty and stressed out as, as a guy could be. I'll never forget the white saltiness oh, on boy. his hat. Yeah. Starting game. You remember that lineup for the Indians, too? Oh, it was like murderers row. Oh, my God. One through nine. And it started, I think, with Kenny Lofton at the top. Right. Andy Bennis is uh, interview number one. I think we should all listen to Andy Bennis. I think there's there's a lot of very interesting stories about life and his life. Right. Very courageous the way he was willing to let us in on some things that were happening in his world. Rick Neuheisel, as I told you, interview number two. And Jeff Goodman, our college basketball guy. Oh, yeah, I love him. Because... There was a guy this past week who committed to Michigan State who Jeff Goodman said is the greatest high school. He's only a jun- going to be a junior high school basketball player. Wait, he's going into his junior year? Going into his junior year, and he's already considered by many as the greatest high school basketball player since LeBron James. And he is so good that nobody recruited him. What? Oh, because they all think he's going straight to the NBA. So nobody wanted to give him. <laughs> Michigan State was the only team that recruited. He said, all right, I'll come there. And he's, he's going? He's literally the best player since LeBron James to come out of high school. So we're going to talk wow. to we'll talk to Jeff Goodman about that and um, a lot of other shenanigans. Plus, we have our other we have. So we have three interviews in our other stuff segment. That's we right. Have, and we still haven't started the show. Let's do it. Okay, Hot Shot episode 99 about to begin. Brought to you by my partners, the Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage. 425-250-3150, low interest rates. The selling market is much hotter than you'd think. And of course, you're crazy, crazy not to at least take a look at refinancing your home. This is the silver lining of this bump in the road with the economy. 30-year fixed in the high twos or low threes. Jordan Flowers and the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Evergreen Golf Call, Tyler Hayes' team at Evergreen can help your family grow your money for your kids' colleges. You'll hear from him on this show. Check out the website, evergreengk.com. Sign up for their fine newsletter, which is free. Offices along the West Coast, headquartered here in Bellevue. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Zeke's Pizza, all 17 locations are open. 50% maximum capacity inside and outside. President Dan Black will be back with us here on 99, reminding you that you can have a lot more than pizza delivered to your door. Craft beer growlers, download the Zeke's Pizza app like we do. Zeke's Pizza delivers homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler. Leshy is now open. South Lake Union is now open. Daniel's Bellevue at the top of Bellevue Place is now open. All of them taking enormous precautions to make certain it is a completely safe experience. It's time to catch up on those celebrations that we lost thanks to COVID, graduations, anniversaries, birthdays, Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses, episode 99. It's a good one. Starts right now. 
Unfiltered. At what point do we stop going back in people's lives, 5, 10, 15 years, finding something that they said or did and holding it completely against them moving forward starting now? I mean, don't we all at some point look back upon things that we did in the past and say, I was stupid, I was an idiot, I was being a fool? Horrified at some things I did. So does a person deserve to be fired for something that he may have done 20 years ago. In 1995, that he regrets and wishes he never did. Unfiltered. If they're going to allow 25% to each game, there are eight games, eight home games. They're going to allow every one of the season ticket holders to go to two games, 25%. And if that's the case, then how are we deciding which games I get? I want the Niners. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 99 is now officially underway across from a man wearing a Star Wars t-shirt today. That's right. I'm a big poser. I got to fit in with the nerds at Microsoft, but I don't work there anymore. So now a I man who can only it. eat three hot dogs at a barbecue, well, I, you know, if I had to four or five, <laughs> but I don't think I'm doing a 10 or 11 like you. Here he is. None other than Hotshot Scott. Hotshot Scott Soden on Twitter if you want to follow him. That's right. If you want to like what he does. Yeah, just not get into that. I, my head can't take it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, the 1991 Rose Bowl, I've told you, I watch occasionally. I had yeah. it on while I was working last week. It was yeah. the Huskies against Iowa. Yes. What they, year? 1991 was okay. New Year's Day. That's the one where the guy... Nick Bell. Nick Bell. Oh, two touchdowns, Nick Bell. Two touchdowns in that game against you the Huskies. You idolized a guy that was playing against the Huskies. Yeah, it was weird. Well, I knew the Huskies mm. were going to win. I mean, mm. Iowa sucked. I see 17. how you are. Yeah. All and right. I tried to look. I tried to find and him, you actually. You fancy He's, yourself a Husky fan, and yeah. you forever wore a number of just a random dude that scored two <laughs> touchdowns against them? He ain't random. That sounds weird. Nick that Bell sounds was very weird. A beast, by the way. Awesome. Sounds very If anyone weird. knows him, I'd like to talk to him. Hey, so did Willie talk. Galt score against the Dolphins on December 2nd, 1985? I would assume so. Because I didn't wear a, Nick, uh, a Willie Galt jersey for the rest of my life. <laughs> All right. So Keith Jackson and yes. Bob Greasy are calling the game, right? Well, yep. And a commercial comes up for a made-for-TV movie called Dillinger about the, the bank robber. Yeah. And <laughs> starring Mark Harmon. Oh. Who we just got done doing 30 minutes on. Yeah, yes, last week. <laughs> right. Because we had nothing else to talk about. Yeah. Keith, Keith Jackson, when, when they throw back to him, he said, Mark Harmon. <laughs> he says, I've known Mark Harmon all his life, and I just can't think of him as Dillinger. <laughs> I'm sure ABC's like, can you maybe help us out a bit here? This is our goddamn movie. Thank you for, for killing it. And then, uh, he, but, but then he said, Mark, of course, the son of a great old friend we lost last year, Tom Harmon, old oh, 98. Old 98. So there you go. So now you, see, you, you didn't even believe me last week. You said all this. Mitch is just spewing bullshit. That's right. But then <laughs> I know you hear Keith Jackson say it. Yep. Yeah. Now I believe it. It's like the it's like the scene from the um, uh, oh god, what is it? the Steve Martin movie, The Jerk, Father of the oh. Bride. Did you ever see Father oh, yeah. of the Bride? It's great. Yeah. Do you remember Father of the of Bride? Yeah, yeah. How well do you remember Father of the Bride? I remember he got arrested because he was panic. He was freaking out. He was pissed. Father at the hot of the dogs. Bride. Yeah. The hot dogs are what ten, and then no, the hot dogs are eight, but the buns are ten. What if I don't want to pay for the? See, two? I don't remember yeah. it that well. Oh, okay. Do you remember a scene where the daughter is about to go out on the date with the the soon to be son in law, and Steve Martin says to her as she's leaving, "Yes, you should wear a coat. It's really cold out there." And she's yeah. like, "No, Dad, no, Dad, no, no, seriously, it's nippy. You should wear a coat." She said, "No, Dad, no, Dad." And then the 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 date says, "Yeah, it's kind of nippy." Okay. Yeah, right. That's, right. that's what you just did to me. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You didn't accept my old ninety eight right. yep. until. 
Keith Jackson. Keith Jackson says it. That's and now right. it's okay. Everything now it's he okay. says. You just pulled yep. the father of the bride <laughs> scene <laughs> right on me. That's how random I, I am. That's what I thought of when you just did that with Keith Jackson. I don't remember Dillinger, the ABC Sunday night movie, but I looked up a review and the first line I saw was, Dillinger is a messy directed, haphazardly edited <laughs> TV movie. <laughs> Sounds like our podcast. <laughs> That's right. It's a one star. Great career move for Mark Episode Harmon. 99, <laughs> Hot Shots got Episode Terry the Tank Johnson. Oh, he was good for the Huskies. Yeah, yeah he's had pretty some good. troubles when he got to the NFL. Remember, a lot of lot of arrests. Oh, really? Yeah, mm. machine guns and oh, guns I and that. Yeah. yeah, and there was some other stuff going okay. on. Terry the Tank Johnson was very good in the early 2000s. Yeah, he wore number 99. Hey, episode Rocky Bernard. Rocky <laughs> Bernard. Yes. Did we not refer to him last week? We did. Yep. Okay. Episode Michael McCrary. Do you remember Michael McCrary? Defensive I, end, yeah. pass rusher that went off to the Ravens, I think. Maybe a pro bowler once or twice yeah. for the Seahawks. Yeah. yeah, he wore number 99. We could go with the, the most recent 99, the guy who's wearing 99 right now for Ooh. you, who's going to wear 99 this season for your Seattle Seahawks. That would be Benson Mayoa, who's oh, coming back great. with his uh, his sacks. Uh, we, could also, we could also go... I told you this a few a few episodes ago. We could go episode Tez again because his best year, he wore ni- 1992 when he was the NFL's Defensive Player of the Year. He wore 99 in honor of his late friend Jerome Brown. That's right. Who was a Miami Hurricane grade and played for the Philadelphia Eagles. Yep. So that. And then there's other 99. Obviously, I think we know where we're naming the episode. Yes. But there's some really good 99s. I say 12-year career... Pro Football Hall of Famer in 2013, seven-time Pro Bowler, first team All-Pro four times, Whoa. number 99 of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and you say... Warren Sapp. Yes. Nice. I say Pro Football <laughs> Hall of Famer 2017, 1997 to 2011, six-time Pro Bowler, three-time first team All-Pro, number 99 for the Miami Dolphins, and you say... Oh, I can picture him. Uh, Jason... Taylor. Very good. Thank you. I say. I used to get a bell once in a while. I don't sure, know. Oh, thank you very sure much. There you go. There you go. I say soon to be Hall of Famer, still playing, still active, oh. two, 2011 to present, five-time Pro Bowler, five-time All-Pro so far, three-time Defensive Player of the Year out of Waukesha, Wisconsin. He's a defensive end for the, for the Houston Texans, and you'd oh. say 99. J.J. Watt. I forgot he's 99. He's a I good one. say a career 312 <laughs> batting average. Oh God, I'm not getting this. 2,574 base hits. He hit 555 home runs. Jeez. He drove in 1,831 RBIs. He played for the very team you just referred to, the Cleveland Indians, in 1995. He went off to the Dodgers and wore 99. He is... Manny Ramirez. Manny Ramirez. I say... Oh, jeez. <laughs> 99, currently of the New York Yankees, big-time slugger, home run king... Judge. Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge, yeah. I is. say the best... Maybe the best football player in the NFL. If you said right now to a, a panel of experts, experts, who is the best football player in the NFL, who would they say? Regardless of position, right now, who is the best player in the NFL? Who would more experts say than any other player? Maybe Patrick Mahomes? Maybe. Yeah, he probably would get, if not the most votes, very close to it. But there'd be another guy. The uh, How about number 99 of the Rams? Would he get some votes? Oh, yeah. Aaron Donald? Yeah. Would he get some votes? Yeah. 
He's pretty 99. good. Yeah. How about Joe Klecko's running mate in New York? Oh. You just mentioned him. He was married to Brigitte Nielsen. After Stallone, I think, right? I think right? so, yeah. He yes. is? Mark, not to be confused with Mike Gastineau. Gaston, Mark Gastineau never lost a tooth eating a hot dog. <laughs> I think I think Gast actually has a brother named Mark. I think, actually. Oh, does he? Yeah, I think I he has a But Mark Gastineau, yeah. he, he was him and Klecko. Wasn't Love, there Yes. Wasn't there a third who was good on that team? Oh, there was a lot of guys. Lance Mel, there was a lot of guys on that team. It's that, one of that the, Jets defense was very good. They were the New York Sack Exchange. I was just going to say, one oh, of the sorry, great nicknames just, of all time, yeah, right? Yeah, they were the New York Sack Exchange. Love, I love Mark Gastineau he, doing did, the dance. Did he invent he the, the sack dance? Was he the first one to do that, probably, maybe? Well, probably. He was good. He was weird. Well, yeah, I think Is he still around? I think he's going through some tough mental issues. Oh. Remember, he tried to box. Oh, yeah. And I think he has some... Uh, some CTE. Some, going something's on. going on with them now, yeah. And then 99, we and lost to way too young Jerome Brown of the Philadelphia. So I just mentioned... A lot mentioned, of good 99s. How about those 99s? Warren yeah. Sapp, Jason Taylor, J.J. Watt, Manny Ramirez, Aaron Judge, Aaron Donald, Mark Castano, yeah. Jerome Brown. I mean, but 99... 20 years in the NHL, 894 goals, 1,963 assists, 2,857 points. He was a Hockey Hall of Famer, 1999. He's a nine-time MVP. Now think about that. He is a nine-time MVP, not a nine-time All-Star. Right, or first team, okay. all, whatever. What did yeah. Jordan? How many times did Jordan win the MVP? Three, four. This guy won know, it nine times. It's amazing. <laughs> Nine times, Nine like Ferris Bueller's times. Day Off. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, how was your fourth? Well, I told you we went to an outdoor wedding. Yeah. We were around some people, which yeah. was a little weird. There was hand sanitizer everywhere. Did you so stay over? You did. We stayed at a hotel. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Oh, I know. I'm going to put my shirt over my... <laughs> no, I want to social distance from oh, you. Oh, God. No, it was fun. I'd be... I really? love. You've been sneezing and coughing ever since? Not yet. I'm a little warm, though. I don't know. Well, so it, am I. It, it could be this room. Yeah. Uh, but it, no, it was fun. It was a wedding. I, I typically love the fourth. I love fireworks. I love yeah. blowing stuff up. I love going to you know the, the reservation to get the good stuff. Yeah, I love all that. So that was not this past weekend, but it was still a fun time. You know, seeing people and drinking and dancing. It was a good time. When was the wedding? Fr- Saturday night. Saturday, yes. Nice couple. Any explosives? No, I didn't. Any explosions? It was weird. Any fireworks? I thought for sure this group was going to be lighting up fireworks with just lots of dancing and mm. chaos and fun. So it was a yeah. good time. I finally got a chance to see, I've only seen the first act, I've only seen up to intermission, I watched Hamilton on Friday night. Have you seen Hamilton? I haven't You're aware s- of Hamilton, certainly, the, the musical. Yes, I've heard of <laughs> the most successful show of all time. Maybe yes. of all time, Yeah, yes. I've heard of it. Pretty big bar, right? Yes. Pretty huge expectations for a guy like me who had never seen out. My, my wife and one of my children went to it when it was at the Paramount. Okay. When the show traveled to the Paramount. Sure. So they had seen it. Uh, my little one and me had never seen it. So I sat down having heard. So, I know. I have heard years and years right. and years. There was no way it could live up to the <laughs> expectations, breathing, right? Breathing air doesn't live up to Hamilton, right? I mean, I mean this a- thing had, you know, and yet. Oh, boy. So good. I was talking. And I've only seen the first the first act. Okay. The, it's just so different, and I love stage shows and I love musicals. Yeah. And I they teased me a little bit because I was on my phone, but 
I re- it, this was so different than anything I had ever seen before. And then I started learning a little bit. I started reading about it. Lynn Manuel Miranda. He, no, he was in it, right? He's, he's the star. He plays Hamilton. So I heard it was the original cast, which yeah. they don't oh, do. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah it's, it was filmed in like London in, in the first run and right. whatever. He sold it for Disney to Disney for seventy five million bucks. My wife That's was seventy five million. She was begging me to get Disney Plus so we could watch it. He wrote every. I guess he composed and wrote every song. He at. Yeah. The guy must be an absolute genius. He's oozing talent. Yeah. Yeah. He raps, are you, are he sings. You, do you, you don't have Disney Plus. I don't. I don't even know that we, I, I don't even know how we got it because I don't remember having to. I guess, oh, I'm sure Brett bought it <laughs> a couple days ago. I think, I think Max is gaffing it. That's right. <laughs> like Uncle Snap. But anyway, I've seen the, fir- the first act and, and Max told me before we shut it off, it was late at night that we'd watch the second act tonight. Uh, he says the second act's better than the first act. Oh, great. Uh, it is. Yeah, I know. People love it. People love the it. The bar was really high. And then July 4th, yeah, I, it was announced to me <laughs> early in the day on Saturday by the uh, the better half that she wanted to go buy fireworks. Okay. And you, I'm just, I am just not a fireworks guy. Oh, really? I, I'm a, I love the true blue fireworks. You know, the ones you sit by the canal and you look up or you sit up Next to Lake Washington, and you watch the yeah. ones up in the air. I love those. You can buy those if you look around hard enough. You no. can have those in your yard. Okay, <laughs> those are called. I those like are called mortar. Uh, they're, no, they're called uh, something shells. But yeah, you put uh, them in the pipe. You light it. It goes boom. Those are so I uh, no mortar shells. I think they're I called. just I like the ones that you see on TV. Yeah, with the music. Yeah, yeah. South Lake Union or wherever yeah, sure. it is. Space Needle, Elliot Bay, on, uh, you know the yeah, yeah, I like those. Okay, with the with the patriotic music, I sure. love that. The whole doing stuff in the front oh, yard. Oh, I hate that. Really? Oh, I've never been a fan. Even as a kid, you didn't... never liked it. Never did it. Never really? liked it. Never always thought down upon the neighbors who did it. Never just never <laughs> liked it. Remember when I, I was about never to fight it. Joe Hip? Yes, remember I, I told remember that story. When about, yeah. I got, almost <laughs> yeah. got badgered. Yeah. Into, so whatever whatever reservation that is, I can't remember the name of it. They sell like the stuff that goes boom. It's up above ocean shores. <sighs> and I said to the guy, I it was working there. I said, "Do you have anything else? Like, where's the good stuff?" He goes, "Are you a cop?" I was like, "Do I look like a cop?" I yeah, go, this stuff is illegal, right? Well, it depends on where you buy it. Yeah. So he goes, "Come with me to my car." <laughs> right. <laughs> so I go back there. He opens it. This is like 15 years ago. Opens his trunk. There's a, a volleyball full of gunpowder with a fuse on it. Holy God. Right. A tennis ball and then a ping pong ball. Wow. I was like, let me start with the ping pong ball and see who will go from there. Wow. Where is this guy today? I know. It was amazing. <laughs> you can tell he like hot glue gunned it. Oh, my God. Sounds so safe, right? Making fireworks in your basement. You know. But it was awesome. Was it Jason Pierre Paul? Is that the guy's name? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Jason Pierre Paul. Lost fingers yeah. over there. Hey, you do have to be careful. So I was told in no uncertain terms when we got up on Saturday, we're going, we're going to buy fireworks. Okay. And we went and bought fire. We went to Mercer Island where they had a little thing. Yeah. And we bought sparklers. Twizzlers. That's it? That's it. Spark- and we bought those little things that you throw at people's feet. Pop it. And they yeah. pop. Oh. Yeah. That's what we got. That's it? That's it. You didn't light anything? Yeah, with the, 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 the uh, sparklers you have to light. Oh, good. Look, nothing with a fuse? No. No. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Boring. Really? That's what we got. They make. We could write our names. Have you ever done that? You could write your names in the air with Holy the. Holy <laughs> Lord. Why? Is that not good? That's weak. We spent a grand total of, I think, $7.25 over there. We stood in a line. Let me tell you the line. I think I, I think they were a little curious, like, why are these people standing in this whole line for... Right, for sparkles. For sparkles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it's like it's like waiting in line at a pizza place for a sparkling water. I mean, like, why, why even bother? Before we get to the three interviews and then the other stuff, I have a feeling the other stuff segment's going to be really good because we both have a lot of stuff for the other stuff yeah. segment. Um, I do want to bring up one topic, one serious sports topic. I mean, it's not serious, but it, it is a sports topic that I find curious. Okay. And that is, did you see over the course of last week more training video with Russell Wilson and Antonio Brown? I making saw, the rounds on social media. I saw some. I don't know if it's more or not, but... It, well, we saw some uh, last month and the okay. month before that. There has been a constant flow yeah. of video not only being sent out by Antonio Brown, being sent out by the lovable number three, Russell Wilson. Yeah. And it is now incredibly clear to anybody who has noticed that these two have a very... Very good relationship. And I know, think about that. Close your eyes and think about that. Are there two, is there, is there such a thing as two more opposite football players in terms of their mentality and the terms of the way they handle themselves? These two, I guess, opposites attract. These two guys are bosom buddies. And you know where this is leading. My conversation is leading to. Yep. I know that you're going to say, Mitch, you're being speculative. No, I'm telling you. If, if, if Russell Wilson has sent out training videos in California of him throwing to Antonio Brown like on three different occasions, you can be sure, you can put two and two together yeah. that he wants Antonio Brown on his football team come the start of the NFL season. There is now no question in my mind. If there was ever a question, there now is no question that Russell Wilson would love for John Schneider and Pete Carroll to sign off on giving Antonio Brown a chance. And my question to you and to all the people that are listening right now isn't what do you want to do because I know everybody's got an opinion on this and I think the majority think no, 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 stay away from him, stay away from him. The question I have is a little bit different. Okay. What weight does number three carry and what weight should the face of the franchise carry? If he calls John Schneider and says, John, I'm telling you, he understands the ills of his ways. He's changing. He's trying to change. He deserves another shot. He's a good guy. And let me tell you something, John. He is one of the top five wide receivers still to this moment in the NFL. We've got to bring him in. What kind of weight should that carry if your franchise quarterback comes to you, the general manager, goes to ownership, goes to Jody Allen, because Jody Allen would have to sign off on this. Yeah, yeah. This would go all the way to the top. Should Russell Wilson have the cachet and the clout, obviously to be heard, we all agree that, but what kind of clout should he have? That's my question. I think enough to get an interview, essentially. He can, he, he, like when your friend refers you for a job, it kind of pushes you to the top. Enough to, to, get a, to get an interview with the hiring manager. Get a tryout, get a look, get it's, an audition. Yes, enough. I, I think get a visit. Russell seems like he, he can be trusted. He's not a smoke blower. If he says this guy's turned it around, I think it's worth, I think it's worth John listening to and having a look at. But ultimately, John Schneider runs that team. He's going to make the decision well, John on his Pete. own. Yeah, right. John and Pete, and yeah. to a lesser extent, the owner. Not ownership. enough to sign him just because Russell said is what I think. He's going to have to look at him for himself. I, I'm, I know you don't want to talk about this, but I'm sort of conflicted on this Antonio Brown thing. I went back. I mean, and, I don't want to talk about this. 
Well, you you ask a, a different question. No, no. Now I want to graduate to how I how you and I feel about this. <sighs> I went back and looked at the charges because I sort of forgot. There's some pretty yeah. heavy stuff in there. A lot of heavy stuff. Yeah. There's domestic violence. There's a lot of stuff. Some ugly language towards women. Uh, um, and terrible just, language. Oh, yeah, there's some, some really bad history. There is no question about it. By the way... And I'm not I'm not giving you my opinion yet. Okay. There has been bad history with other guys that John and Pete have signed off on bringing in. Okay. This heavy. Go back and look at the accusations and the allegations with Frank Clark. Yeah. Go read I, that's that. That's true. I remember that. Go in, read in what. Go read what the girl says happened. Yeah. In that I think hotel room. Okay. Okay. I'm just saying, and he's not the only one. There's, I can, I could probably, if I wanted to, yeah, list off a number of checkered. Go, maybe not Antonio Brown, maybe different, but there, there have been instances of that before. So the question is, if if he comes to you and he says, "Come on, guys, give this guy. He's so good, and he's he's changing, and I've I've gotten to know him. He's a buddy. He's not going to hurt us." I'm conflicted because I don't like the stuff that I was reading, but we've talked a lot about second chances on this show. Yeah. Second, in this, in his case, it would be third and fourth and fifth <laughs> All right, chances. well, yeah. I mean, there was incidents in Pittsburgh. And the there Raiders, were incidents yeah. in Oakland. Then he signed with New England and what have you. And so there, there, yeah. it's, it, it's not a second chance in this okay. case. It's a third or fourth or fifth chance. But still, the, the, the sentiment is the same. Are people able to change or not is kind of what we have to don't ask know. ourselves. Don't know. I'd like to think that you don't just give up on somebody, that if they want to change, that they can change. Now, let's be clear about something while we're on the subject. What you read about what's happened, the heaviness of what's happened, he has not still yet been disciplined by the NFL for some of that. Okay. Because he hasn't played since. He hasn't been active on a team. He hasn't been signed. So I just want to point this out because it needs to be mentioned. If the Seahawks or anybody else sign him. He's still got disciplinary action probably coming. He He's probably looking at a suspension immediately upon signing with another team if he ever signs yeah. with another team. So that's got to be part of the conversation. Look, I have thought a lot about what I wanted to say about this because, I, you know, obviously second and third chances are, are important and near and dear to my heart. Sure. But I've thought a lot about Antonio Brown and whether you'd bring him in. And I know that most Seahawks fans, I think most Seahawks fans, if we did a poll, would say no, 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 no. I think it, bo- I think it boils down to, to, to the following question. Is it no, 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 because what he's done? Or is it no, 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 because you're afraid of what he might do to this team and this clubhouse in terms of a distraction. Now, I understand they're kind of connected yeah. because you're making a determination on B based on what he's done. I get all that. But I think you have to ask yourself that question. Okay. Are we, are we refusing to sign him because, you know what? That was heavy shit. That yeah. was, he's done some really bad things and we just don't want someone here who's done bad things. Okay. I would say if that's the if that's the answer, then I fully understand. And by the way, I've lived it. I get it. What what he's done, maybe not what he's going to do, but what Mitch has done, I get it. Okay. However, if the answer is the other, which is I don't want to sign him. Yeah, he did some really bad things. I'm afraid of what he's going to do to this locker, to this team. I don't think that's the reason not to sign him because. Think about what you'd have to give up to get him. Would you have to trade for him? 
No, he's no, free, he's a free agent. Yeah, free agent. Would you have to give him a massive contract? Do you think? No. Would you have to guarantee him a lot of money? Do nope. you think? Sure. Wouldn't. Okay. Would you be able to literally walk away the day that he got? If you told him you have a zero, we have a zero tolerance tolerance policy, policy yeah. here. There's no second chance. And he comes in and he does something stupid. Could you walk away from him right then and there and cut him? Yep. Did he eat away at the New England Patriots? He was on the Patriots for like one game against the Dolphins. He caught a touchdown pass. He sure did. Did the Patriots do okay that season? Yeah. I mean, or, or were they forever <laughs> they destroyed shambles, by no. his to whatever, whatever? And then they, they ended up having to cut him, right? And they, yeah. what did the Patriots do? They walked away as soon as the first sign of, of trouble. Yep. So that's the way I feel. The way I feel is if you don't want to sign him because of what he's done and you don't want to give him another chance because you think those are some seriously crappy things, violence towards women and so forth, okay. But if you're really not signing him because you're afraid of what he might do the Seahawks, I think you're making a mistake because I think it's worth the roll of the dice to say, hey, he might be one of the top five receivers. Russell Wilson may have gotten to him. He might behave just well enough because of the connection with Russell Wilson. He might be the difference maker in a playoff role. He, he might be able to survive on the Seattle Seahawks. I think the chances of that, rolling the dice, and the cost of it being, okay, we got to be ready to walk away as soon as something happens. I can go there for that. I can go there for that because... You're gone. You're gone. You're cut. Yeah. As soon as something objectionable happens. Yeah, for me, it's less that. It's less a disruption. I, I, or, or, it's or more ha- about his past. His past is tough. I mean, you remember Warren Moon was accused of doing some stuff, and he's on the broadcast, and there was no second chance. He was just gone. He was out, right? That's kind of how the Seahawks operate. I'd be very surprised if they sign him, and I think a lot of fans will be upset, especially in 2020. Now, wait a second. Warren Moon was on the broadcast yeah. after a lot of that stuff has, had happened yeah. in his past. Yeah, in his past. So they gave him another chance. Well, I thought it just had come out. They, they no, didn't no, know no. about They'd it. Go back years. Oh, maybe go I'm back, mistaken. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I War, thought that Warren, was the first they War, knew about it. Uh, no, there were other incidents with other, oh. other wives and other women. I mean, there were other incidents way back years and years and years and oh, years okay. ago. Okay. Warren had had some troubles. And I, look, I'm not. Yeah, no, I got you. I, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm not casting dispersions on Warren, but he had had some troubles for years back in Houston and so forth. And okay. he was on the broadcast with those things in his background. Okay. They, they had decided, okay, he had come. In fact, it was during his playing days, I believe. Gotcha. During his playing days, he had some issues. But anyway, it just feels like allegations. There a, there's a big zero tolerance policy with everyone. And again, he hasn't done anything as a Seahawk, so I don't know if, I, if that really plays into it, but... You're going to sign the guy for, uh, I don't know, 2020. It's a tough one. It's, I, I think they're going to be like, thank you. I wish we could. You're a great player. I don't know if we can bring that, that baggage Got it. to Seattle. I don't know if it's my decision. If I, if I was a general manager, it's because he is a hell of a talent. It's hard to not want to take him in, but I think they're going to pass. Three interviews. I think you'll be moved by the Andy Bennis, especially the second half of the Andy Bennis uh, interview. So you want to listen up for that. And then you and I will be doing some other stuff in our final set. Oh, yes, we will. Before we reminisce about the magical 1995 Mariners season with Andy Bennis, I always look forward to my conversations with Jordan Flowers, even the ones on the golf course. Jordan, what's going on with the Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage these days? 
It is busy times right now, Mitch. Everybody is fielding calls left and right, doing pre-approvals for buyers, lowering people's interest rates, hoping people get cash for home improvement projects or paying off any debt. It is a busy time. People are setting records. Give us a sense of the real estate inventory, pending sales numbers. Can you tell us where we are in the midst of all this? Yeah, it's it's interesting what's going on right now. We weren't sure how it was going to play out with COVID coming in and uh, what people would be doing with listings and selling their home and buying, but it really has not skipped a beat. Uh, There might have been a little slowdown in March, but every realtor I'm talking to is expecting kind of a second spring market, and we're already seeing that in action. Inventory is sitting at about 1.8 months, which basically means if no new inventory came on, there'd only be about a month and a half of homes that could be purchased. So you're seeing a lot of offers, very competitive situation, prices escalating. So if you are thinking about selling, actually, it would be a great time to connect with your realtor. Or if you want to get connected with some of the top realtors in town, please call me and I can connect people with them. doesn't hurt to find out what the property is worth right now and what you might be able to get for it if you've been thinking about selling and moving somewhere else. It's a great time. And Jordan, if I'm a buyer or if I'm looking at a refinance and I've got great credit, what numbers am I looking at at this moment for a 30-year fixed Yeah, again, all dependent upon down payment, credit scores, but we are looking in the high twos and low threes right now on a 30-year fixed. And if I want to learn more about any of the things that you just talked about, I can call you directly, right? Please call me directly. Somebody will answer in the office or you can call my cell phone directly. Cell phone is 425-890-2957. And the office line is 425-250-2957. Three one four five. Perfect. That's Jordan Flowers in the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. Unfiltered. How do you settle down? How does he get a hold of his nerves? I would say, Brent, that the one thing Andy Bennis has going for him, actually he has a couple of things, an outstanding fastball, a good changeup and a slider. He has to get his breaking ball and changeup over if he's going to hold down this Yankee fastball hitting lineup. So one more time in this great series, the Kingdom is ready to rock. Episode 99 continues with a former number one pick in the Major League Baseball draft who had a distinguished 14-year career in the big leagues, but it's the two-month window in 1995 that most of us here in the Northwest remember. Former Mariners pitcher Andy Bennis is on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Andy, thanks so much for being on and willing to reminisce with us a little bit. Yeah, you bet. I'll I'll do my best. It's been a long time. <laughs> it's been uh, quite a while, 25 years, but yeah. uh, it goes by fast. We still talk about it and think back upon it very uh, fondly, obviously, here in the Northwest. But let's start at the beginning. First player taken in, in 1988, the NL Rookie of the Year. 
You were a Major League Baseball All-Star in 1993. Here's my first bit of Andy Benish trivia. Are you ready? Yep, I'm ready. Name the eight guys you faced in the 1993 All-Star game. I'm playing the Jeopardy music underneath. That's right. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm good with that. Okay. So six of them were Hall of Famers. Six are in the Hall of Fame, and the other two won back-to-back World Series for uh, Toronto. I faced Robbie Alomar, Paul Molitor, Griffey Jr., uh, Joe Carter, John Olerud, yes. Kirby Puckett, Cal Ripken Jr., Wade Boggs. Wow, and I got a little bell here. I'm giving you the bell. It's our, it's our, yeah. our, our big technology that we have here on the podcast. Very, very good. One of the guys hit a home. Didn't Robbie Alomar was the first guy you faced? Robbie hit a, Alomar hit a home was run. the first guy hit a hit a two one slider, and we played together. I faced uh, and Joe Carter and I played together, so that was fun. But he hit a home run, and I ended up uh, giving a, a hit to Joe Carter, broken bat hit. Struck out Griffey and Cal Ripken, which was fun because it was Griffey and I'd never faced him, but Cal Ripken because it was in Baltimore and got the other guys out and what an amazing experience. What was the pitch that you got Junior out on in 1993? Do you remember? Yeah, I threw a backdoor slider. Um, that was before interleague. He'd never faced any of those guys. Uh, had played with two of them, so I had a decent idea, but um, – yeah, made a really good pitch, three two, and was thankfully swung and missed it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he you... didn't miss too many, so but it was a really good pitch, so I'm thankful. And then a few years later, let's go back to the midseason trade. I'm trying to remember. Uh, you must have been at the end of a contract at that point when the Padres traded you to the Mariners in the middle of '95 at the deadline. What do you remember about the day that you were told? And just go through whatever emotions that you recall, Andy. Well, I wasn't very happy, unfortunately. Uh, I probably didn't have the best attitude in San Diego. We had had kind of a fire sale, and I was hoping that I'd be one of the guys in the fire sale. We had traded McGriff and Sheffield and Bruce Hurst and another one of my good buddies that was a starting pitcher. And so I was a little disgruntled, a bad attitude. But anyway, um, the day of the trading deadline, I was doing a, an autograph signing before the game up on the plaza level because obviously I wasn't pitching that day. And I was sitting with the owner's sister-in-law who was involved with the charity program. And I'm signing and I'm signing. She's like, Hey, will you sign these baseballs, you know, for charity? I'm like, sure. I'm like, why don't you just leave them in my locker? I'll get to them later. Uh, she goes, no, you need to, I need you to sign them now. So <laughs> that was my first inclination, man. Uh, it's going to happen today. And so this was before, before cell phones. And so the game was over and, said I was a little disgruntled so we went out to dinner so you know I didn't have a phone or anything and I got home and I had three messages from Randy Smith who was the GM hey Andy can you give me a call the next one was more urgent the final one was I I really need you to call me and uh, so I called him and they told me they traded me to Seattle which I hadn't heard anything about Seattle and it was urgent because he said Lou Pinella wanted to call you before before they left to go to Anaheim and so, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a tough day. I was, there was a lot of excitement for me, but, um, going to a new team, but I'd also been in San Diego for six years. We had three kids born there and I did have a lot of really good memories. So it was, it was bittersweet for sure. Yeah. 
And the thought of coming to Seattle was probably – now, again, where were you on your contract and were you thinking, okay, I'm going up there for a couple of months to try to help them win a title and go to the playoffs? Yeah, I was at the end. I was a six-year player, and so I was going to be a free agent when the season was over. And so I had a pretty good idea I was going to get traded because I hadn't signed an extension uh, the year before or a couple years before they had made me an offer. And I'm like, you know, I just kind of want to see what's going to happen here. And so – I was super excited to come to Seattle. Uh, Vince Coleman got traded there a few yep. days, I think, after yep. I did. And it was really interesting for the two of us. We were locker buddies, but it was such a close-knit group. And those guys had gone through some tough times and hadn't won, hadn't been to the playoffs. And so I don't want to say as an outsider because they accepted us like family, and it was amazing. But we would just kind of sit and look at the guys and the excitement, and we were excited too, but – to see the people that worked in the clubhouse and it was just different. And that's all we saw. The other guys knew that it was different too, but it was, it was a really neat experience. And there was just a renewed energy. I forget where Vince Coleman was coming from, but we certainly weren't going to make the playoffs in San Diego. And so I was super excited to be on a really good team and hopefully just put in a small piece to help them get there. From a family perspective, what happens? You've got three kids. You just mentioned in San Diego, you're at the end of a contract. It could very well mean that you're just going to be there for a short period of time here. I guess I should say you come up by, you come up by yourself. You stay in a hotel, you leave your family behind. Do they join you? How does that work? Andy? Well, I got called. I talked to the Padre GM at seven o'clock in the next morning, about nine o'clock in the morning, I drove to the stadium, cleaned out my locker. I had made a commitment to Padre Care or whatever, which was a charity program. They were starting a a program uh, for some underprivileged, middle-aged, at-risk kids. And so I gave the owner a $10,000 check. There were 10 of us that did that. And he's like, no, we just traded you. I'm like, no, this goes way beyond baseball. This is, this is about kids and their future in college. So then I, and I drove to Anaheim by myself and uh, met the team there and uh, eventually flew. I, I think I stayed at a residence in when I was in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, my wife was pregnant with our fourth. We had an eight year old, a three year old, a two year old and a baby on the way. Yeah. And so, uh, they came up a few times. It was just hard with the little ones. Cause they, you know, they can't really go to the ballpark. My oldest son drew was, uh, eight at the time and he would come up and I'll tell you what, man, it, when you have your son at the ballpark, you're always a little worried, you know, what, what's yeah. he doing? But yeah. Griffey would hang out with him and play video games and then hit ground balls to him. And he was so good to Drew. And, uh, you know, that means a lot as a dad. When, number one, he wasn't in trouble. But number two, he's hanging out with the best player in the game right. and just hanging out and chilling. So it's a, it's a tough transition. I think that's a part of uh, sports professional sports that people don't understand is it literally is you get a call and 12 hours later you're on your way and I wasn't back at my home in San Diego from July 31st until late in October so wow it was it was super fun super exciting but it was hard at the same time Andy, how do you feel like you pitch? You obviously went 7-2. and two. The numbers speak for themselves. We'll get to game two against the Yankees, game five against the Yankees. You're the answer to the trivia question, who started game five for the Mariners in, in still to this day, 
the the most talked about, the most uh, famous game in Mariners history. Unfortunately, there hasn't been a World Series, so we don't <laughs> right. have anything to talk about. How do you feel like you went about your business? How do you feel like you performed in, in those two months where you were very much an, an integral part of the Mariners' race to the postseason for the first time? Yeah, overall, I felt like I pitched pretty well. Um, I was kind of hot or cold. I, w- I either pitched really well or it wasn't great. Um, really, the only stinker I had, unfortunately, was against Cleveland and the LCS. When pitching it in Cleveland in 30-degree snow showers, and it just wasn't my best. Um, and we needed it. I know we came back and Randy won the next game, but I think as a starting pitcher, uh, I prided myself on being – uh, pretty consistent. I was reliable. I took the ball and gave the team an opportunity to win. And for, I think, like you said, we went nine and two in my starts. I won seven of them, which meant that I pitched well enough to win. And so uh, I felt like I added a piece that they didn't have before that. Yeah. Um, but I also was playing for a very good team and was thankful that I had great teammates. And yeah. game two and five were, were stressful. I've never <laughs> been to Yankee Stadium. Uh, to say the least, and I start a game that goes 17 innings and just a really, really hard loss. And a game five, you know, winner take all is yeah is obviously about as high stress as you can get. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I'll tell you real quick about that. You know, you're talking about that game's been on TV a lot. And my son, my 24 year old, was playing last summer in the Cardinals minor league system up in uh, the New York Pin League, and I was I was in there and hanging out with them and. I go into the lunchroom and it was after batting practice and these guys are watching TV and I'm looking and some of the guys look at me cause they knew I was Drew, uh, Shane's dad. Yeah. And they looked at me and they're like, we're watching you pitch. I'm like, yeah, this is a, this is a great game. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, some of the documentaries, uh, you know, it didn't really show me throwing a whole lot. It's more towards the end of the game, but just to be a part of that. And I watched, I was able to watch some of it. Yeah. You know, a few pitches here or there. I was a little wild at times and some walks hurt me, but you know, it was really the first high stress, you know, first couple high stress games that I played in. And that's, that's a tough, that's a tough order. Um, it was really good. It was in the kingdom. Uh, uh, I felt very comfortable there. And you just knew that the offense, the other side wasn't just really spot on that the offense was going to get after it. So, well, you played. It turned out the right way. Yeah, you played, and I'm going to ask you um, where you were, what you remember when the the ball was hit by Edgar down the line. I was there that day. So many of us w- were there that day. You obviously yeah. went on to your hometown team of St. Louis after, so you know you know what it's like to play in some great ambiance. But I, right. I, for me, even as a guy who goes to watch the Seahawks play, and you know about their legendary home field advantage, right? that night, that day, those games in the kingdom against the Yankees, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because there's a, there's a question I want to ask you. Let's come back to that. There's a question I want to ask you because it's a long time ago, and I just either didn't know or don't remember. In game two, you gave up a home run to Don Mattingly. Yeah. And I think it ended up being Mattingly's last home run ever. And there's a connection. There's a hometown connection that I either forgot or never knew. There was something special right. about that meeting you, Andy Bennis, against Don Mattingly. Tell us. Well, it was obviously before interleague. And so uh, we weren't playing the 
American League teams. And Donnie grew up in the same hometown that I did. And we were eight years apart. And so he was a superstar and obviously in, in high school at a small Catholic school. And he was drafted in the 23rd round by the Yankees. And, you know, he was the face of the Yankees for a long time, but they had never made it to the playoffs. And so I had a high admiration for him. And we were involved in a lot of different charity things together, but we never played against each other. And, and so when we're playing the Yankees, that was kind of a, it was just kind of surreal. And we had a one run lead and I don't, I didn't throw too many change ups, but I tried to throw a change up two one change up and uh, he hit it out. And, you know, I hate to say this cause we're talking to the people in Seattle, but I, I hated the result, but it was one of the coolest things I probably saw in sports. Uh, watching junior run around the bases was was right up there. But to see how that man was revered in New York and knowing him personally and what he stood for and what a hard worker. And he was a guy I'd want my kids to watch and say, play the game like him to see that they threw, there was like a five, 10 minute break in the game, literally because these people threw every beverage they had towards (laughs) the field. And they were chanting Donnie baseball. I'm like, this is just surreal. But Evansville, Indiana was part of that connection. And uh, it was his last home run. He actually got his last hit off me. I think he got a double in game five. And uh, that was his last major league hit. Have you visited with him uh, about it since? Have you talked about it with him since? uh, Oh, yeah. We've been involved in some charity things. And, um, yeah, he's, he's such a good guy. He's like, do you, I, I'm not sure if I remember who I hit my last home run off of. I'm like, yeah, no, I, you know, I said, I think I remember. I said, I just, you know, I, I can't remember who won that game. I'm not, I'm not sure, but uh, he's such a good guy. And we see each other actually quite a bit. And uh, so little piece of trivia. Yeah. Where were you when Edgar lined the shot to left and junior scored from first, where were you standing and what were you doing as part of the celebration? What did it feel like? It was, well, I told you, it was just kind of an out-of-body experience. I, You know, they welcomed Vince and I with open arms, but there was still that part of me that was like, I was so happy for the people that had survived and <laughs> endured the hardship yeah. that I was looking at it as a fan, really, at that point. And I'm in the dugout, and I run out, and, you know, we're jumping around. I kind of went out to the mound area. I don't even know who was out there. I know Junior was on under a pile at home plate. Right with uh, A-Rod, I think, and yeah. some of the guys. But I just remember somehow Randy's hat got knocked off. <laughs> and I grabbed it, Randy Johnson, I grabbed it real quick and, and stuck it in the side of my uniform pants because I'm like, I don't want him to lose it. People run out on the field. I don't, yeah. You, know, you yeah. never know what's going to happen. But yeah. this is probably something that he would like since he was a minor part of what happened. Uh. So, uh, but, man, what a great celebration. I remember probably the biggest, my biggest takeaway – I remember the clubhouse guy that had been there a long, long time. I don't know if he was there from the beginning, but he had been there a long, long time. And to see him walk up, give each guy a hug, and he was literally had tears running down his face. It meant that much to him. Uh, It just says everything about, I think, what it was about for the city because it, it helped get a new stadium built. The support that, you know, they refused to lose and the, an epic uh, yeah. Yeah. September and an epic comeback and with Griffey. It's just one of those 
memories that I mean, it's baseball history and yeah. and it's it was a great game. So you great go- for Seattle and great for the fans. My like I said, my wife was there and my my oldest son was there and then my second son was going to be born, you know, six months later. So yeah, yeah. very cool. Yeah. So you uh, you go off to St. Louis. You play for your childhood team. You spent your uh, mm-hmm. your years growing up going to St. Louis and sitting in the upper deck and watching the Cardinals. Now you get a right. chance to play with them. You get a chance to play with your brother, as I recall, in St. Louis. But you you, you nearly win the Cy Young in 1997. Uh, Andy, you've been outspoken in recent years about looking back and not liking yourself very much during your playing days. Tell us, tell our, our audience about your struggles to balance the public Andy Bennis and the private yeah. family Andy Bennis, maybe the turning point and the subsequent happy ending to this Andy Bennis story. Oh, wow. How much time do we have? I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the, the, the brief version. Okay. But, okay. You know, it's being in the spotlight and being under that, that pressure. And it's not like my family's not going to eat pressure, but there's a lot of pressure that comes along with being a professional athlete. And I work so hard to try to, I work so hard on my image. I, I like people, but I, I tell people I was like an affirmation addict and I want to make sure I wanted people to like me. I did a lot of, I do a lot of charity stuff. I, I love doing that and I do it for the right reason, but I also get affirmation from that. And, at one point, my wife's like, you don't want to say no to anybody except us. We kind of get what's left over. And when you are, when you have to kind of be on for 12 hours of the day when you're out in the public, you, you get exhausted. And so, you know, my family didn't get the best of me most of the time. You know, I had an addictive personality, so I didn't drink a lot, but when I did drink, I overdrank and that caused problems. I looked at, you know, whether it was betting on football games or that was a distraction to me. Uh, by the way, I was never on baseball, but um, <laughs> just to make that clear. But so I really battled with, with those demons and, and throughout my career, I kind of hit a low point after I got done playing. I decided to retire after 14 years. I was able to um, continue playing. Cardinals were trying to re-sign me and really at that point I had to make a decision because of all the problems that I'd caused with addiction do I want to keep playing or do I want to try to have my family and uh, that's hard to say but it was all my own doing and so with that being said uh, I retired and you know went through an awful lot of trying to restore relationships and my wife and I've been married 33 years but it's by the grace of God and it really wasn't until the Lord got a hold of my heart that really kind of turned things around. When we try to control our circumstances and figure things out on our own without any, you know, spiritual base, it's really hard. You know, I've been down a lot of really bad paths, but until I really kind of accepted the Lord's grace and mercy and forgiveness, could I start to try to reconcile, you know, to reconcile with my family I don't know if I'm articulating it the right way, but it took, it took time. It took a lot of time. Uh, I tell people I was the guest at a residence in for a little while <laughs> because, and I say that and I can joke about it right now, but at one point my wife is like, I have a buddy, an accountability buddy. And he said, if your wife was going to grade you on a scale of one to 10, what number would she give you? And I'm like, well, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, I want, 
155 major league games and got a couple thousand major league punch outs. And I do charity work. I probably give myself about a five. He goes, well, five's kind of failing, right? Five out of 10. He goes, can I talk to your wife? And after he talked to my wife, he said, you know, she gave you, she asked if she could give you a negative number. Wow. That's where things are at. Now I laugh about it now because there have been times in our life since then that she's like, you're a 10 right now. And that's just by God's grace and changing my heart. And things are different for me. The perspective I said earlier, I had a bad attitude when I was in San Diego. How blessed are you when you can go out and pitch for a major league team and God is giving you an amazing talent. And, you know, you have such a, the opportunity to impact people in a, in a positive way and speak light to kids and try to encourage them and all that. And, and to have a bad attitude in that is, is really selfish. And, you know, there are things like that that I'd like to change about the past, but it's also helped me to become the man I am today and be on the right path yeah. and, yeah. and to feel good about it yeah. and uh, to feel positive. And, you know, I live free and free from the past and just looking forward. And so that's a short version, yeah. but uh, I'm very thankful and blessed that I'm in the position I am now. And I have a wonderful family. We've adopted we have four biological kids. We've adopted three, two from Russia, 10 and 12 years ago. And then we just recently adopted a girl from the Ukraine who just turned 16. And so none of that would happen yeah. Uh, yeah. if Jennifer and I wouldn't have been able to, number one, her extend me a lot of grace and get over the hump and be moving in a, a direction that is, is good and positive. So we're involved in a lot of great things here in St. Louis, uh, trying to have an impact and Things are good, and I'm very thankful. I can relate to your story a lot more than you even know, uh, Andy, and I very much appreciate well, your your thoughts. I'm, I'm reading here a quote that she said, you know, Andy, at one point in your marriage, she said, you know, Andy, everybody here in St. Louis loves you and thinks you're great except me and your children until you figure out right. if you want to be a part of this family. Why don't you just go be with all the people that think you're great and love you because, yeah. because we don't. Right. That's the most powerful well, I think, quote. I think as men, we want to hold up this bravado that we're tough and we're strong and we got it all under control. And I have an opportunity to speak. So many people are either walking through, getting ready to walk through or have walked through really tough times. In, in a lot of different places, but maybe it's addiction or whatever. However, being able to talk about it and say, hey, this is where I've been. If you think a lot different of me because I'm saying what well, that's on you. I'm just being honest. And I wasn't honest with myself for a long time. And I was doing stupid things. I'd lie about it. I was not, I just wasn't honest. I wasn't a good person. It was all about me all the time. And that's in a lot of ways, you have to be self-focused. You have to be, you have to have that one thought. My, you, you, your job is to go do your job. And it's all about that. And it's all about you all the time. Well, that's not life. That's not family. That's not anything other than selfish. And a lot of the things that drove me to be great at what I did and drive athletes to be great are very destructive in real life because right. it's not real life. And yeah. so yeah. I'm very thankful. I'm open about it. And it's uh, it's part of my past and it's not who I am now. My heart's been changed and I'm just thankful that I have a family and that, you know, we've been able to adopt and these three kids that we've adopted have 
continue to change our life in a very positive way. I am incredibly appreciative of of you sharing that with us and sharing that with everybody that you speak with. Andy Bennis, our guest on Mitch Unfiltered, everybody remembers him from 1995, but I think after listening to, to this conversation, there'll be a lot of people that remember you for what you did after baseball to set things right. Thank you, Andy, so, so yeah. much for being with us on Mitch Unfiltered. I really appreciate it. I hope I can call upon you again someday. You got it. I love the time there. I'm so thankful of the support that Mariner Nation gave me and that team. And I'm thankful for my teammates. And I think about Griffey and Buner, Edgar, Randy that were there, and other guys, Blowers, all those guys that went through struggles. And then I got to watch them celebrate, and they just hope they just welcomed me with open arms, and I'm just so very grateful for that. And it's a memory that, and a part of my life that I'll never forget. So thank you, Mariner Nation. Thank you, Andy. You bet. Have a great day. What a thoughtful and courageous conversation with Andy Bennis, who came over to the Mariners in the middle of that '95 season, started 11 games for the Mariners during the regular season. The Mariners won nine. He went seven and two. And the rest, as they say, is history. He started game five, as you recall, against the New York Yankees. Time to check in with Tyler Hay, the CEO of Evergreen Golf Call. The economy, Tyler, still trying to shake the last several months. And with that come some opportunities. What's the game plan? Certainly, Mitch, when the market was down 37 from its peak, there were some really good opportunities. Today, I think that what people are kind of um, adjusting to is a new reality when they think of investing. You know, for the last 10 years, we've been in a bull market and my five-year-old could have made money by just picking stocks. And now I think that people are having to be a little bit more thoughtful about, do I want to own airlines? Is it an opportunity? Is it a risk? Do I want to own casinos or hospitality companies? And then you think about, you know, how the tech sector looks relative to some of those other ones. And you, you might be deciding that just buying the S&P 500 and not worrying about what stocks are in it. I think that that might be kind of an old way of thinking and people are adjusting to this new way. Okay, so I'm a Mitch Unfiltered listener and I want to learn more about Tyler Hayes' team at Evergreen Golf Call. Tyler, what would you say is the best way to do that? They can go to our website at evergreengk.com and there's two resources there that I think would be most helpful. We write a weekly news newsletter and it takes a lot of time, but it really does a good job at kind of conveying our thoughts on the market and our outlook and that's available for free. And then There's also a financial personality assessment that we have on our website that allows clients to kind of tell us who they are, what are their investment preferences, and engage us that way. Hey, Tyler, thank you so much for being a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. We appreciate it very much. Thanks, Mitch. Let's get on the link soon. (laughs) Check out the website, evergreengk.com. Unfiltered. Yeah, they've done it. It's really a shame there aren't more fans to appreciate it because really they are an entertaining kind of football team, even though they are outmanned, as we mentioned. O'Rourke comes to the near side as the only outside receiver. Two tight ends, Osborne and Hackett on second and eight. Play action this time. New has a world drop. Looks for Hackett. The end zone has a touchdown. That's the kind of thing a Rick Neuheisel, an active quarterback, can do. Okay, enough is enough. Too much time has passed since we've welcomed in Rick Neuheisel to Mitch Unfiltered. In fact, people emailed me 
that I should have Rick on our 100th episode, but I couldn't wait that long, so he's going to have to settle for episode 99, which is this one. It'll have to do. How's my buddy Rick Neuheisel doing? I am fantastic, and as you say, the number 99, I'm reminded of Get Smart and Agent 99, and I want to know if you remember the actress that played Agent 99. Oh, come on. You know, you got to hit me with something better than that. Give give everybody the name. Isn't it Barbara Feldman? Is her first name Barbara? That, That is exactly right. Yeah. That is exactly is. right. Perfect. You know, I and lo- people are listening right now going, these two guys are weird. <laughs> How do they know that? <laughs> no, no, that's not what they're saying. They're saying these two guys are old, not weird. Well, old. that's true, too. That's true, too. <laughs> I looked up, actually, knowing that this was episode 99 and knowing that I was going to have you on, I actually looked up to see if there's any famous number 99s in UCLA football history. And when I did that, what popped up was is that John Wooden lived until age 99. And I know that you knew the great coach of the UCLA basketball program, right? Loved, loved the coach. No question about it. Matter of fact, when I took the job as the head football coach at UCLA, uh, in my locker prior to the Tennessee game, which was our first game uh, as a staff there, was a handwritten note written by John Wooden. I've still got it. And in it, he says, there will be good times and there will be bad, but the true Bruin fans will be with you thick and thin. Best of luck, coach. We won that game, Mitch, in in overtime over the volunteers. The next week, we would get beat 59 to nothing by (laughs) BYU. And I said, Coach Wooden said there would be good times. I didn't realize they were going to be weeks one and two. (laughs) Please tell me that you have that note somewhere, Rick Neuheisel. Oh, it's framed. I have it framed. Okay, good. Yeah. And and, and I got one other Coach Wooden story, if you've got time and you'll indulge me. Of course. So I get the job at UCLA, and uh, one of the guys who works in the athletic department who's been there for a long time, a fellow by the name of Angelo Mazzoni, says, we got to go have breakfast with Coach Wooden at this Woodland Hills Diner. Uh-huh. Coach lives in this little understated condominium out there that has a little hole cut into the little uh, balcony there on the porch, and the hole fits basketballs. And so these the mailmen who uh, bring basketballs for him to sign just slide it in there uh, <laughs> onto this porch, and he signs it, and they'll take him away, don't have to disturb him. But we go to this little Woodland Hills diner to have breakfast with the coach and his daughter and she's a no-show she's not there and he says okay well we'll just stop we'll sit down and have uh, pancakes eggs well, i don't remember what the fare was but we enjoyed it and talked all kinds of great ucla's history the guys that he coached and so forth we're finishing up we paid the check and in walks his daughter nan she goes i'm not late am i and he winks at me and he says no we were just waiting for you we had breakfast again he never ever blinked no we were just waiting for you we sat there and ordered the same pancakes and eggs and did it all over again brilliant memories of the great coach john wooden with rick neuheisel all right how has the neuheisel family handled COVID 19 and all the quarantine that's been coming along with that we have handled it uh, very well. I, I count myself in that very, very lucky uh, group of people that uh, were not hit by it. We're in places that you didn't feel the impact, where you couldn't go out, where you had to, you were forced into mask wearing. 
now we wear masks as a respect to, to others, but uh, it, I never felt like I was being, cha- my life was changed. Uh-huh. And, and I know so many people across the country have had their lives changed. Uh, so I feel very, very fortunate. I've been able to, you know, the golf courses that I've been able to go and play because social distancing is, it's easy to practice while you play golf. Mm-hmm. So we've been very fortunate, mm. but uh, concerned clearly about, you know, the spike in cases and also concerned as we get ready for hopefully a college football season and a football season in general, whether or not that's going to take place is these uh Phase two now has reverted back to phase one, and we'll wait and see what happens here. The commissioner of the Pac-12, Larry Scott, earlier uh, in the week said that uh, he's concerned. He did not sound optimistic about the prospects of college football. What are we going to do? What what are we going to do about college football, and what are we going to do without college football if we're forced to do that in the fall, Rick? Well, there's a couple of issues here. Number one, and and obviously everybody who gets a a microphone in front of them always says the most important thing is the health and welfare of all involved. And, and of course, that's the correct uh, thing to say, and it's where your heart should be. But there's also a financial impact. These athletic departments are hemorrhaging money. They lost $350 of $600 million that was going to be associated with the basketball tournament. And you you spread that around and, and realize the cuts that are being gone. Almost every head football coach in the country has taken a pay cut. And and same is to be said about all basketball coaches, athletic directors. We've had a lot of furloughed deals. There's uh, there's a ton of sports that have been discontinued because they don't look forward and see any uh, bright light in terms of incoming revenue. And because of that, the cash cow of all cash cows in the world of college athletics is college football. So everybody is pointing towards, please, let's get this season started. But Mitch, I, and I'm I'm the most optimistic of all, and I'm remaining a glass half full guy as we turn the corner now into July. But I struggle with the concept of a campus life that is defunct of students. They're all home taking online classes and you have a football team there in a ghost town of a campus practicing and quarantining and then just going and playing games that just looks so bad from an exploitation standpoint that I just don't know that you can do that. I think you're better off, you know, biting the bullet, pushing the season to the spring. You can move everything else out of the way because nothing garners the same kind of income that college football does, nor will it generate the kind of interest that college football will generate, even though it will be in a, in a season unusual to its fan base, but they will be clamoring for it. And this is all assuming that we can get a uh, vaccine by that time. But I've got my fingers crossed that we're going to get some better news here in the coming weeks and uh, feel better about this to start on time. If we do play somehow, some way, what's the threshold to cancel games. I mean, what if 25% of a team tests positive? What Rick Neuheisel, the former quarterback, is with me? What if two or three quarterbacks on the same team test positive and and you've got to run out there a walk-on quarterback or something or a a position player that has to play? I mean, at what point do we just throw our hands up and say, all right, this team can't play? It's it's a wonderful question, and as we are seeing the numbers being reported by the, the universities that have their players back on campus, 
uh, the more we're having to deal with the reality that that might very well be the case. And the, the impact and the negative impact, whether it be uh, real or imagined, of having somebody participate in a game, get sick, and have something really bad happen. Now, we're talking about a class of youngsters that, by and large, are not impacted by this dreaded disease, COVID-19. But in the case that one should be, just one, one. the nightmare of that makes this all like, are we really going to do this? And that's why I think we're going to have to have some real good news here in the next month if we're going to anticipate starting on time. I think uh, the more likely scenario, assuming that nothing you know, uh, comes down the pike earth-shattering as a turn for the better, I think the more likely scenario is that they're going to push it back, back, and, and I, eventually – it will end up having to be in the spring. And then they'd have to turn around, probably play a delayed the following season. You know, Right. That, that was the big thing Sandy Barber from Penn State, uh, she's formerly of Cal as an athletic director, now at Penn State, said, you know, that, that that's a last resort because then they'd have back-to-back bookend seasons. But again, this is the money tree for college athletics. You cannot n- not have college football and still operate anywhere close to the way – athletic departments are currently operating. They just can't do it. So they're going to try to figure this out as best as they know how and uh, see if they can do so without it making look like they're, you know, pushing these student athletes to limits that uh, don't seem fair. Rick, you're speaking the language of Lincoln Riley, who back on Thursday talked a lot about spring football. What would that look like? Would that be just a conference a conference season plus a postseason, or could we get the whole the whole thing in the non-conference games, the conference games, the conference championship games, and a postseason? I think we could get the whole thing in. I really do. And now you're going to be moving things that we're used to seeing in the spring aside, or you know, coinciding with football. But the attention the, that uh, I think of the sports fan and certainly the college sports fan will be directed towards the college football program. And I think they'd be, you know, given what fans will have been through with this pandemic, which started in the middle of March and now is uh, into the summer. And if in the scenario that we're painting would take us all the way through Christmas, I think they would be clamoring to do it. Now, if you're asking a guy who played in the old USFL, can you play football in the spring? The yeah. answer is absolutely. Oh, yeah. If you're asking a guy who coached the Arizona Hotshots, can you play football in the spring? Absolutely. Yeah. It's fun. The kids will be fine. They'll be in good shape. And assuming that uh, we're through the cold and flu season and we've got some good news with the vaccine, I think everybody comes back to the ballparks and says, this is going to be a blast. I, I really do. I don't think it's nearly as uh, – uh, a dark cloud idea as we had anticipated it being. But I do understand why people want to get to this fall because they're ready to turn on that money spigot. That money spigot has been dry for some time for these college athletic departments. You know, I am so thrilled that you brought up your old USFL playing days because <laughs> because I always like chatting with you about the days that the long flowing blonde hair came out of the back of the helmet. Uh, those are my favorite days to speak of. And just before recording this interview, Rick Neuheisel, I read an article in the Los Angeles Times of all places about 
a certain undefeated run in 1987 with the San Diego Chargers where a blonde-haired quarterback crossed the picket line and said, let's go play football, and he was undefeated. And then as a part of that, as a part of that article, the answer to a trivia question that I never knew, you got to pick up the two stories from that. I want to know about the 87 run. I want to know about the cold shoulder you got from the team once the strike was settled and your teammates came back into that locker room to the guy who played. And I also want to know the story of the answer to the trivia question, who was the last player in the NFL's history to score a non-kick one-point PAT? That's how we'll end today's episode 99. Let me just say, as we uh, get to the conclusion of episode 99, Barbara Fels did not live in vain. Let me just say this, that uh, we called ourselves the rechargers. <laughs> we, we were uh, the vagabonds, the, the, uh, the guys who just wanted to play ball. Uh, it took some coaxing uh, to get me to do it because I was so miffed that I hadn't made the team because I'd been told by Al Saunders, who was the head coach at the time, that I had made the team. They were going to release me, but then they were going to bring me back the next day playing a game with the wa- waiver wire. And I said, okay. And I, they had the hotel set up for me. And so I'm waiting for my call. I had my parents pop champagne. I'm in the NFL. I made the team. And all of a sudden now I got to call them and say, nope. I've been cut. And uh, so I drove back to Los Angeles to go back to law school, just saying to heck with this nonsense. Uh, One week goes by, the NFL plays uh, a week, uh, maybe two. And next thing you know, I'm getting a phone call that, that, hey, we want you to play. And this is the only time in my life, Mitch, that I ever was recruited. I actually hung up on Chuck Knoll. Chuck Knoll, the great coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, called me at like 5.30 in the morning on the West Coast. Said, this is Chuck Knoll, the Steelers. And I go, come on, man. It's too early. And I hung up because I thought it was just one of my buddies playing a joke on me. He calls me again. He says, this is Chuck Knoll, and I'd appreciate it if you'd just stay on the phone a little longer. I'd like to talk to you. So – I, I fielded calls from the Chiefs, from the Steelers, uh, I think from uh, the Dolphins mm. and, and the Chargers. Yeah. And Alex Spanos, who was the owner at the time, uh, obviously his family is still involved, Dean Spanos being the guy who's the owner now. Uh, Alex gets on the phone and says, listen, I know that you're angry because you thought you made the team. So I'm here to make it up to you. I'm going to guarantee the rest of your salary because you did make the team. We made the decision that you would be better off because we knew this was going to happen, that you'd be better off playing and we'd have a guy that we know can play. And I said, you're going to guarantee the rest of my contract. I thought that was illegal. He says, well, I'm going to make a deal with your dad. I'm going to make a deal with your dad because he was into apartments and my dad had been in some (laughs) business dealings with him in, in uh, Phoenix. And I said, okay, if you make, if you give me your word that uh, you'll make good on it, yep. I'll come back and play. Uh-huh. So I do. We go to Cincinnati Riverfront Stadium to play the Bengals, and uh, it's late in the game. And I'm not only the quarterback; I'm the holder. And so we had put together, you know, a bunch of guys that hadn't been spending a lot of time with one another. So the long snapper was a little bit rough. He snaps it four yards back instead of where I'm on a knee at seven yards back. And it bounces into my hands, but it bounces in such a way off the, off the uh, artificial turf that I don't feel that I kind of tip it and it goes into the kicker's hands. (laughs) 
was being surprised. And he starts to run for it. He's starting to run for the left corner. He's not going to make it. Now. So I'm screaming at him, pitch it, pitch it. And he just turns and wheels it back. Uh-huh. And now I reverse field and I'm coming back to my right. And I got a guy in the back of the end zone and I almost let it fly until I realize he's wearing number 68. Oh. Go, he's not <laughs> eligible. He's not eligible. I go, I've got a score. And the only time Rick Neuheisel in his athletic career ever went vertical was <laughs> diving in for the one point, the last one point conversion in NFL history oh. that wasn't kicked oh. was Neuheisel ass over tea kettle uh-huh. into this riverfront stadium uh, end zone. That was it. Final score, Chargers 10, Bengals 9, just so you know. And they settled the strike in 1987, and you're retained at that point? And what it was it like yeah, when the guys I, came back in? Yeah. That was the deal. And, and I had been good friends with Dan Fouts. I've been good friends with Mark Herman. Uh, Mark Blasick was a kid that had been drafted sure. out of Iowa, sure. I think, in the fourth round. Sure. Uh, you know, remember Tom Flick? Tom Flick sure. was on that team. I, I beat him out, or he got released before while I stayed on the team. But there were a ton of good guys as quarterbacks. And Fouts and I played golf. We would go out and play with Charlie Joyner, and he was, you know, really good to me. But when I was on that side of the picket line and he was on the other, Uh-oh. when they came back, it was cold shoulder you. Oh. And so I stayed there for another three weeks and got tired of that. And I just went to Al. I said, Listen, if these guys don't want to talk to me, I get it. But if this is going to be untenable for the team, just let me go. Just send me my checks. And uh, that's exactly what ended up happening. I got picked up by Tampa Bay and went back and played with, uh, how about this quarterback room? Steve DeBerg, Benny Testaverde, Mike Shula, and Rick Neuheisel playing for Ray Perkins and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who finished that season 4-12. and (laughs) I kind of like the quarterback room room of Dan Fouts, Oregon, Mark Herman, part of that terrific crew at Purdue, right? He was one of the right, many Purdue, Purdue quarterbacks. Exactly right. And then Rick Neuheisel and uh, Vlasic out of Iowa. Yeah, yeah I, I like I like both those quarterback rooms. But I like the yeah. room, I like the law school room for Rick Neuheisel even more than I like those rooms. <laughs> I, I did some time in law school and then uh, I went right back down the 405 uh, and the 5 to San Diego to finish. But uh, it was a great experience. I, I The guys on the team were good guys. We had a lot of fun. And, and we were, there were only two NFL teams that went undefeated in those three weeks. The San Diego Chargers, who won all three games, ironically, on the road, won at Cincinnati, at Tampa Bay, and at uh, L.A., which was the L.A. Uh, Raiders, won all three games on the road, and the Redskins. And the Redskins ended up playing in the Super Bowl that year. Uh, the Chargers got to 8-1. and one. We, we put them at 4-1. and one. I think they were one and one when we went to play. So they were four and one, got to eight and one, and then lost their last six games. So there was no playoff money coming our way. All right. We'll end with a trivia question for you since you've given us trivia questions from Agent 99 to the the point after touchdown. (laughs) We'll end this. I'm going to give you a trivia question, Mr. Neuheisel. Okay. Tell me who were the co writers of Get Smart, the two famous co writers of the television show Get Smart. Mel Brooks was one. Yes. I don't know the other. Come on. Mel you know Brooks the other one. one you know them. the other one. Come on. Oh, my goodness. Mel Brooks. Don Adams was uh, Agent 86. Sure. Uh, 
Cones of Silence. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Who would it have been? Buck Henry and Mel Brooks. Buck Henry, the guy who ended up playing in uh, he- uh, Heaven Can Wait. That's right. Buck Henry and Mel Brooks were the co-writers. Buck Henry, the guy who ended up being the kind of the pseudo-business angel. In Heaven Can Wait, right? I think he was, yes. I think he was Heaven Can yeah. Wait. He was also Saturday Night yeah. Live writer and producer and actor and had a great career in Hollywood. I just thought I'd throw that at you. Just some nonsense. I appreciate you doing that. <laughs> that that uh, You and I watched way oh. too much. <laughs> yes, we did. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Rick Neuheisel on episode, Barbara, uh, episode Agent 99. Thank you, Rick. <laughs> Thanks for being back on the show. Appreciate it. Who's better than you, Mitch? Take care, my friend. Stay safe. I mean, is there ever a less than entertaining conversation with Rick Neuheisel, the former Colorado coach and Washington coach and UCLA coach? He says, if there's no college football in the fall, which we all hope there will be, you can bet your bottom dollar that college football will be back in the spring because athletic departments just can't live without a season of college football. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is the president of Zeke's Pizza, Dan Black, who's celebrating the return of all 17 locations. How have the last couple of weeks gone for you and now into phase two, Dan? Um, You know, it's been good. It's been nice to have people back in the restaurants and on the patio as we went into phase 1.5 and now into phase two. What does that mean to Zeke's Pizza? What does that mean to all your clients? It's not a huge change, but it's a good one. The main, well, really the only change for us is is that now dining rooms, they were at 25% capacity uh, in phase 1.5, so they're now at 50%. Dining rooms are at 50% capacity. Our patios are still at 50% capacity. Still no bar seating. Our dine-in and our patios have been busy since we're released from shelter-in-place, and it'll be nice to be able to have even more people in the dining rooms. Talk about the extra precautions that Zeke's Pizza is taking at these 17 great locations, Dan. Yeah, the main thing is, like say, capacity on the patios and dining rooms is one thing, but the main thing really is the social distancing that happens in there, and that means... If you're at a counter service place, that means there's always going to be six feet apart while you're in line. But then the main thing with dining is all of the tables are at least six feet apart. And then, of course, we have hand sanitizer for all customers. Uh, All of our employees are in masks. You know, we're following the guidelines really closely and just making sure that it's safe uh, when people come in, but also fun. Talk to me about delivery. How have the numbers been the last few weeks since you guys started opening up restaurants? Yeah, you know, we were wondering if it was going to drop off at all, but it has stayed strong, which is good from us from a business standpoint. You know, we've been talking about beer delivery the whole time, and if anything, that's getting stronger. So, you know, it's been a good couple weeks. And do what President Dan Black does. Download the Zeke's Pizza app. It's very, very simple. We've got it here. In fact... You should know, Dan, that on high school graduation day, Max Levy, I said to him, anything you want, what do you want for dinner? And he said, I want Zeke's pizza delivered for dinner. And that's what we had on graduation night. So we love it here at uh, the Levy household. Dan Black of Zeke's Pizza. Great to have you back, Dan. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. All right, uh, Amani, the time has come. Where are you going to be playing college basketball? Uh, I'm not sure what what the uh, future may hold, but as I do know right now, I will be committed to Michigan State University. Mocker Maker is a five-star recruit. He has committed to Howard University. 
Our next guest on this episode 99 was a big part of Mitch Unfiltered when we were counting you down the days until March Madness, which of course never happened. Here he is again on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, Stadium Sports Basketball Insider, Jeff Goodman. How are you, JG? Your family safe and sound back east? Everybody's good. The numbers are down here in Massachusetts, so that's obviously a plus. But uh, as I watch them rise in so many states around the country, I I won't lie. I'm concerned about certainly, uh, you know, where sports are going, but more more importantly, where our country's going. So we'll we'll see kind of what happens here. But uh, in my neck of the woods, family's good. I hope uh, everybody's good on your end. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Very few, I would say, in our audience know the story of Imani Bates, and I hope I've pronounced it correctly, yeah. but I think everybody would be interested. I've never heard of a guy before that was too good to be recruited. <laughs> is that true? Too good to be recruited, right, Jeff? Listen, this is a kid who um, I've seen play multiple times, and – and uh, he's the best player I've seen talent-wise since maybe LeBron. You know, certainly in the equation with Greg Oden, with Anthony Davis, with Kevin Durant. And he plays a lot and looks a lot like Kevin Durant. Not quite as long, probably 6'9". Um, and, and he's from uh, Ypsilanti, Michigan. And you're right, nobody really recruited him. Uh, I was a senior day for Cassius Winston in Michigan State. And he was there, and Tom Izzo, as I was I was finishing talking to Tom Izzo, uh, sports information director came up to him and he said, Tom, like, uh, you got to go. you got to talk to Imani Bates. And uh, they went in the back room, and he's really the only one that's really been recruiting him hard. None of the big boys have because most of them felt like the kid was never going to go to college. Now, I still think there's a chance he goes to college, but I think a lot of it is going to depend on name, image, likeness. And when that comes in, what is he able to make and generate um, revenue-wise when he goes to college in a couple of years uh, as opposed to making a million dollars overseas or maybe a million dollars with this new G League pathway program? Yeah. I, I want to point out for our listeners who don't understand, he's only going to be a junior next year. He's That's not right. He's not even part of the senior class yet. And, and I heard you say, I think on your Twitter, Jeff, that you thought that if everybody were eligible this year for the NBA draft, everybody, every college player, every high school senior, every high school junior, every high school sophomore, I think I saw you say you believe this guy would be the number one overall pick in the draft or should be the number one overall pick in the draft. Yeah. What makes him so darn special? Uh, he's super skilled. He's competitive. Now he's thin. He's got a game weight mature. But as KD did, I mean, first time I saw KD, you know, he was a sophomore, about the same age, and he was probably 160 pounds, 170 pounds. So uh, his body will develop, but uh, he's super skilled. He's long. He uh, he can guard. He's tough. He's competitive, uh, a high-character kid. So I, I think he's got the highest upside by far. Again, you're not going to throw him an NBA game today, but – I don't care. Like, are you really throwing Anthony Edwards in an NBA game and he's going to make an impact? Yeah. Probably not. Are you throwing, you know, LaMelo Ball? Yeah, he'll make an impact. I don't know if he'll win games, but he can make an impact, and, and it's going to take time for him. So I, I just think this kid's upside is higher than anybody else's, and it's not even close. Are, are we working under the assumption, Jeff, that it's a foregone conclusion that the rules will change 
between the time now and the time that he comes out after his senior year, which will allow high schoolers, no matter their age, to go straight to the NBA? Is that right? It's not a foregone conclusion, that, and that's the big question mark. If they, if they do that, obviously he's never going to play a, a day in college. But um, Adam Silver and the, and the Players Association still have to figure that out through the collective bargaining agreement. And, you know, you talk to enough people, and there's a lot of people that say, well, number one, the Players Association doesn't want this rule uh, going in where high school kids can go straight to the NBA because those high school kids will take jobs from a lot of the veterans. And a lot of people even feel like Adam Silver might not want this. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again, you know, the, the bottom line onto this is, is you'd rather have kids that are ready. How many LeBron Jameses are there? I mean, not that many. Even KD, when he came into the NBA, he came in after a year at Texas. And last I took his team uh, didn't win a whole lot of games out that way. Uh, right. You know? uh, the other story that's both crazy and refreshing, to be honest, is this five-star prospect maker maker the cousin of nba or thon maker says no to all the blue bloods to play at howard university you don't see that every day that's kind of historic jeff yeah it's a cool story i mean listen you know the hbcus the the black conferences uh schools the the miac and the swac have really made a an effort late, lately to go after a lot of high profile uh, kids you know, uh, Howard has Kenny Blakeney as their head coach. He played at Duke, just took over at Howard about a year ago. He had a couple big-time players on his campus, including Patrick Christopher, who ended up choosing Arizona State over Howard. But Howard landed uh, Thon Maker's cousin, uh, terrific prospect, uh, very talented, skilled. I- I'm still a little bit skeptical whether he arrives on campus and plays at Howard. Uh, he put his name in for the draft, and, and I think – I'm skeptical only because, honestly, his mentor and guardian is a guy named Ed Smith, who frankly just lied to my face years ago when I asked him if Thonmaker was going to go to college. He said 100%. Uh. And uh, obviously, we know he didn't go to college. So I, I hope he goes to Howard. I think it would be a cool story, and, and it would be interesting to see if other kids would follow suit. But I'm still a little bit skeptical, and certainly for – you know, some reasons that we don't even know if we're going to have college basketball this year. Right. And I'm going to ask you that last before we finish up. When was the last time a guy that was as prestigious, a high school player, a five-star player, went to such a small school and said no? There was a guy, as I recall, I'm doing this off the top of my head, and you're going to yeah. know who it is. There was a guy who went to play for his dad in Detroit, as I recall, five yeah. or ten years ago. Who am I forget? What, what was his name? I forget who that was. Yeah, Ray McCallum. Ray That's McCallum right. That's turned right. down Arizona and UCLA to play for his dad. And several of those type. I'm, I'm going to do a story at some point this year. Um, dads almost always win out, no matter who they're fighting against. You know, there's a kid, Patrick Baldwin, uh, who right now his father is a head coach at Milwaukee, and they're going up against Duke. And uh, dads most often uh, always win but they've never beaten Duke. So that'll be an interesting <laughs> recruiting battle to watch uh, upcoming. Uh, Coach K against dads. It's the only yes, one that maybe yes. he might lose to. All right, what do you make about the incredible number of transfers and the NCAA applications to not have to sit out that redshirt year? Are all these guys changing schools going to be able to play right away? Or are some, how's the NCAA going to go through all these things? So the numbers, the actual transfer numbers aren't as much, uh, they aren't that much higher than they've been the last couple okay. of years, okay. to be honest. Okay. People are making it out 
That's not the case. I've done this for the last 12, 15 years. Um, they're very similar to the, where they've been the last couple of years. However, like you said, the big question is there's going to be a transfer waiver that goes into effect, a one-time transfer waiver, at, probably for next season. Uh, they didn't implement it this year, um, but they're probably going to do it for next year. But for this year, we don't yet know how they're going to handle all these coronavirus waivers. Uh, we've seen one of them in Johnny Juzang, who went from Kentucky back home to UCLA. And NCAA gave him one right away because he transferred closer to home, and I'm sure he used uh, coronavirus as, as part of his avenue to get that uh, waiver to play this season. We just don't know, again, how many, you know, I'll give you a good example. L.J. Figueroa, kid who played at St. John's, transferred to Oregon. Well, will the NCAA allow him if he says, well, I had to get out of New York? Now, his home is Lawrence, Massachusetts. Right. So he's not going anywhere closer to home. Right. But if he said, I was scared uh, in New York with COVID and, and the numbers were so high when I decided to leave, uh, then I wanted to go somewhere at that time, Eugene, Oregon, that the numbers were low. What, what does the NCAA do and how afraid of, of being sued are they by a lot of these kids if they say no to them? Hmm. When will we know? When do they have to rule by? Yeah, I mean, they, they just kind of go at their own pace. Okay. Uh, that's the problem with the NCAA. They rule quickly on Johnny Juzang, um, but they go on their own pace. And, you know, sometimes it depends. It, it's not their fault. In a lot of occasions, it's the school's fault because they don't file the waiver quick. Oh. So a lot of times we're, we're blaming the NCAA uh-huh. when, in fact, it's the school that waits too long wow. or waits uh, a long time to be able to file the waiver so they don't get an answer back until closer to the start of, the, of, of at least the school year. While everybody, before you go, while everybody's obviously concerned about college football in the fall, and we've got a long way to go before team activities and college hoops, it'll be here before you know it. How do you, Jeff, feel about the start of college basketball without a vaccine for COVID-19? How does that look in your eyes? Yeah, I don't feel good. I, I think Mark Emmert needs to make a decision soon, uh, the president of the NCAA, and say, you know what, we're going to push this thing back. Uh, let's get as much information as we can. I don't understand why they have college basketball players on campus right now, to be honest. Football is the priority. Uh, why muck it up and have more players on campus right now uh, for a season that's not going to start until uh, November? They're working out, what, two hours a day. They're not even working out until July 20th. Can't do anything. So I, I just think this is poor leadership at the top, and I think they need to um, they need to be proactive rather than being reactive, which unfortunately has not been uh, the NCAA's strength, and, and say, you know what, we're going to push this thing back, and we're going to start the season in January, and we're not going to have non-conference games, of which you and I both know, you know, out of the 13 or 12 non-conference games on three, average, three. about seven or eight of them yeah. are, are garbage anyway. Yeah, yeah. They're garbage. Yeah. Nobody wants to watch them. Yeah. Uh, so there's a handful of games that matter. And, and unfortunately, I think you've got to be at a point where you understand the bigger picture right now, which is let's just have college basketball. Even if we only have a conference season and maybe we have an NCAA tournament that, that even is truncated a little bit, let's just have that instead of trying to go for everything. Uh, and let's just be smart and uh, plan ahead. Well, then we could have January start a college basketball, conference play only. And if they decide to move college football out of the fall, we could have spring college football right after the NCAA tournament or even during the NCAA tournament. We'll do this. Yeah. Mitch, do this. Just just have college football games on Saturdays. Yep. 
and and don't have college basketball games on Saturdays. Have them play on. on oh. If you're playing a weekend game, play on a Sunday, not a Saturday. My mind might combust. I, I don't even know that I can handle all of that. That's a lot. That's a lot to handle. <laughs> You'd have no life. <laughs> We'd all have no life, right? We'd be sitting at home all weekend oh, watching games. But, we, but oh it my would. God. You know, I just think again, you got to look at the, the the big picture right now. Instead of trying to start something when you're not ready, and there's so many question marks. Yeah. And like you said, you don't have a vaccine, and a lot of these smaller schools that are going to be playing the big boys, whether it's in in college football, which is you know the the one that's coming first. They don't have the same um, the same wherewithal to be able to test that Alabama or Clemson have, right? They can't. Right. So, you know, I just think we're setting ourselves up to fail here if we go too quickly. Follow him on Twitter. Watch him on Stadium Sports. And from time to time, you hear him right here on Mitch Unfiltered. I'm not sure that anybody does college basketball, college basketball insider work, as well as Jeff Goodman has done it for years and years and years. Jeff, the best to you and your family. Stay safe. We'll talk to you down the line. Likewise, Mitch. Likewise. Be safe. And uh, we'll talk soon. Longtime ESPN College Hoops insider Jeff Goodman now with Stadium Sports, which is really good, by the way. They've assembled a great lineup like our old buddy Steve Phillips. Anyway, the best high school player since LeBron James commits to Michigan State. But if I were Tom Izzo, I don't know that I'd print the jersey just yet because the NBA could be an opportunity for him straight out of high school once he graduates. It's time to catch up with the CEO of Daniel's Broiler. Here's our friend Lindsey Schwartz to give us some good news about the reopening of two more Daniel's Broiler locations. Lindsey? Yeah, that's right, Mitch. We finally got to open uh, two more. So we opened Bellevue and then we opened Lake Union the night after that. And uh, we're off to a pretty good start. So far, so good. Okay, so what can you tell us about what we'll find at the three locations now? Less shy. Daniels Broiler Bellevue and Lake Union in terms of how much capacity seating, how close will we be to the next party, all of that stuff. Sure, yeah. Well, King County has moved into phase two. Inside in the dining rooms, we can do 50% capacity. And outside on the decks and patios, we can do 50% capacity. And fortunately, all three of those locations uh, have either decks or patios, and so that really helps. All the tables are six feet apart, so we've removed tables from the dining rooms to ensure that everybody's at least six feet apart. Uh, and then all the other things that, that, that we do to keep people six feet apart. We have signage. Uh, we have those, those decals on the floors for people to stand on when they're checking in at the front desk. Uh, of course, all of our team members are wearing masks and gloves, and now you know all guests are required to wear masks, and so we enforce that. We've got disposable menus. We've got hand sanitizer available throughout the restaurant, and we thoroughly sanitize the tables in between each use and thoroughly sanitize uh, all the common areas, areas on a regular basis. So we're taking it very seriously, as uh, as you would expect us to. So now that South Lake Union and Bellevue are open, that means delivery from those two spots as well, correct? That's right, yeah. All three spots are work with DoorDash as our third-party delivery company, so it's available from all three, so that's expanded our geographic footprint for delivery since we've opened an additional two locations. And then all three are available for pickup. And what's cool about pickup is you can also do beer, wine, and even cocktails for the pickups. 
40th year anniversary of Daniel's Broiler, part of the fabric, as I like to say, of the Pacific Northwest. And we're celebrating with $40 bottles of Vouv Clicquot. But that is, is that only Les Shy, or is that available at the other two locations that are now open as well? That's only at Les Shy for now. That's the first restaurant. It's, it's actually, that's the one that's celebrating the 40-year anniversary. And so we've got it limited to that for now. That may change at some point. But right now, if you want the $40 move you go get it at Leshye. I gotta say that everybody's itching to go back to restaurants and we've all missed a lot of special occasions and there is no better place to celebrate your special occasion whether it's a birthday or an anniversary a graduation dinner you've got to do it at Daniel's Broiler now with three locations back open South Lake Union Leshye and Bellevue Place Daniel's Broiler world-class steakhouses Unfiltered. Okay, episode 99, three interviews are in the books. It's time for the other stuff segment, and I know we've got a long list of things to get to with Hotshot Scott. Lots going on. Okay, 24-year-old Summer Taylor passed away. She was a Seattle protester, and I I said she, but I read that she identifies as non-binary, so I will call her they going forward. Okay, okay. um, there were protests on I-5 in Seattle, Black Lives Matter protesters. Okay. A car going 50 miles an hour came plowing through and somehow only hit two of them. And one of them's in critical condition in the hospital. And the other one is Summer Taylor, who was 24 years old, which is, it was a bummer story over the weekend. And I, I didn't want to bring it up to bum everyone out, but I happened to see something on Facebook and I, I didn't know this because I don't listen to Dory Monson's show. Because it ties into something we spoke about <sighs> on episode... 98 yes. that you brought up on episode 98. We're going back down the Dory Monson rabbit hole, right? I don't know if I want to, but I keep seeing this stuff. But Hey, it's unfiltered. Go. Dory said on his show Friday, he was telling a story about driving through Florida. Okay, I've when, done in, that. In 1985. <laughs> yeah. He was listening to the radio, had the top down, and he kept hearing a news story at the top of the hour on the radio that said gang members are jumping out in front of cars on the freeways right. and they're robbing people. And be careful when you're driving, essentially. So he kept hearing this news story in 1985, right? Are you with yeah, me? Yeah. The governor. I was there in 85, too. Oh, were you? Were you yeah. listening to Tears for Fears? No, like he I was, was graduating from high school. All right. Um, so essentially, the governor issued a statement saying that if you think this is happening to you and you run over one of those people who are going to essentially do harm to you, we will not come after you. Nothing will happen to you. Really? That's Self-defense. What, yes. So Dory points out that the criminals stopped jumping in front of the cars, that it actually worked. All right. Now, here's... Here's the thing. People were tweeting at me and and messaging me saying, Dory said that this is okay and that this should happen. And that's why this driver did that on Friday. Now, I'm going to quote him because I want to make sure we're being fair to him. I don't know that he necessarily said that, but everybody can judge for themselves. I have a quote. Dory says, again, I am not advocating for that. I'm not suggesting we do that in Washington. I'm just saying there are other ways we could handle this besides shutting down the freeway every night. So people took that as... Run them down. That's how people are taking it. And then a few hours later, two are run down. That's right. One's dead. Yep. Now, how does this tie into... What kind of reaction did you get? Did you get um, reaction to your comments about... Wasn't it last... Wasn't it episode 98? They all run together now. Yeah, I think it was 98. Okay. I got I got a couple... A, a little bit of feedback, and they were sort of on both... Uh, right. Per usual, they were yeah. on different sides. Right. Um, one guy says, Dory tells it like it is without taking a side, and that's how he survived in liberal Seattle this whole time. 
Okay. I feel like he takes a side. I don't necessarily agree okay. with that person. Okay. It's his job to take a side. You know, you're a radio host. So you, you have to have an opinion. I'm not a radio host. Well, you were it's at one point. <laughs> Somebody else says what Dory said was disgusting and Scott downplayed it. Coming at me for, for not you know, oh. stamping it up more and right. saying this is horrible. So some people said you went overboard and other yeah. people said you downplayed it. So you're a, My whole opinion you're a was, loser both ways. That's right. Welcome to the Mitch Unfiltered, right? <laughs> My whole opinion was you're welcome to talk shit all day long. Have your opinions on the radio, but then to play non, you know, to play non-partial sportscaster on the weekends just feels kind of weird to me. Yeah. Like, I don't think Cairo would hire Tucker Carlson to do Seahawks postgame, right? Or yeah. Ra- Rachel Maddow, whoever it is. Because they're outspoken. I think she'd be good doing the. Oh, she would. She'd be good at anything. And yeah. Tucker's a broadcaster; he'd be fine too. But yeah. they give their opinions, and then to go play, you can't have it. It doesn't. It feels like you can't. You can't and this have is it. not me coming at Dory. I have no axe to grind with Dory. Right. He's been nice to me when yeah. I've met him. Yeah. But people were sending me. You just me don't think that Facebook. he can do, do the outspoken talk show bit Monday through Friday, especially during these heated and sensitive times. Yeah. And then turn around and be Mr. Seahawk on on Sunday. I think there was a time. I don't where know he that could. I agree with that, but okay, really? I'm hearing. I'm hearing you. Okay, so where are we on the the newest episode? What what's your what's your take on how responsible are, are we going down the the road of Dory is responsible for his remarks that this driver heard Dory Monson? I don't think this driver heard Dory Monson and got permission from him right. to, to run over two people. Yeah, I, I I don't think that, but it's a little inflammatory at these times, yeah. and it's probably the worst coincidence of all time for Dory. Yeah. And I know that their website pulled it down, pulled that segment down. Yeah. But I happened to find it on Google Podcasts. So this where is you can more, hear Mitch unfiltered, by you, the way. To- <laughs> <laughs> Google, Google doesn't Thank care. You. Google Thank had it up there. And anyone can go find it and listen to it if okay. you want to judge for yourself. It's horrible and this timing. Is further, further confirmation in your mind that <sighs> can't do both. To me, you can't do both. And again, I, I don't want to come after do our fellow want, radio guy. Do you but- want a Mitch story that some will remember in our audience and some won't that will add some some smiles to the to the topic sure it doesn't necessarily and i don't mean to compare the two because there's no comparison to the two but what i'm about to say the dory monson was somehow responsible for the guy running over the two people and one dying yes it reminds me of an old radio show hotshot several years ago do you know what the boeing classic is you know the boeing classic right oh my god you're not a golfer guy but you know the it's boeing block classic. from my house yes oh that's right that's right i'm okay. familiar with the stupid boeing classic right. every year ruining my life for so, a weekend really does it ruin your life no it's just busy up there. <laughs> although real quick my favorite thing when Graz and gas would be broadcasting live from there i'd yeah. go on my porch and i'd blow an air horn <laughs> and, and then and then I'd run hugh to the... millen did that to me in the middle of my golf swing oh really yeah and then i'd run back to the radio yeah. to hear it on the delay all right go one ahead. of my least favorite stories is i was on the air and we were playing a game on the air that i used to call change the subject change the subject are you allowed to say that or huh Probably to, okay go Probably on not. change the subject and people could call in and ask or say anything they wanted about any topic the only rule was that you couldn't repeat any topic that was already discussed okay so we had to have stream of consciousness topic after topic and it was the day of the first round of the boeing classic okay and a guy a random guy calls and says mitch going out to the Going out to the, the Boeing Classic. I'm on my way out right now. He's calling from his car. Who should I heckle out there? <laughs> who, who's, who would be the... I mean, you know these guys, these guys that are playing. Who would be the most fun to heckle? And this was on a Friday, a Friday morning, because <laughs> okay. the first round was on a Friday. And I don't know. I thought about it. And I said, you know who's got a, a, hair, a, a, a hair trigger temper? Yeah, hair trigger temper. A yeah. hair trigger temper is a guy named Curtis Strange. You ever heard of the name Curtis Strange? Yes. Curtis, Curtis Strange, Strange is a two-time U.S. Open champion. Yeah. And he's, he's known to have a little bit of a t- 
temper and you could probably get under his skin. So I said, so I said to him, like, without even thinking, Curtis Strange. Curtis Strange would be a good guy. to. T-. And then we went to the next call. Okay. okay. I was in my club championship, my own tournament that weekend. Okay. I went from the studio on a Friday to play my first round on Friday afternoon. I play my first round. I go home, have dinner with the family, whatever. And I have to get up really early and play my second round All on right. Saturday morning. You know what I'm going to say? No. I have to get up early in the morning to play my second round. Okay. I get up really early. I jump in the car like 7, 730. I'm, I'm at the club and I, I come in to have breakfast before my second round. And everybody's like, way to go, Mitch. Oh, no. And I'm like, what the, what is everybody, what, everybody's smirking and laughing. I'm like, what, 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 what am I the last to know? Yeah. Front page Seattle Times. Strange challenges spectator to fight. Oh, no. Is that right? <laughs> but did the paper know you were in on it? I mean, the guy aired me out in oh, the paper. <laughs> really? Yes. Oh, my god! I was gosh. driving in the thing, and I called Mitch's show, and he told me to, to heckle. He told me to heckle Curtis Strange. Oh, great. So this guy on the 14th tee box, Curtis Strange got up there, and 14 is a par four that they want all these guys to go for it and to try to drive it over the canyon and onto the green. Okay. And a lot of guys lay up. Yeah. And he goes, be, and some guy goes, be a man. The guy that called me goes, yeah. be a man, Curtis, and don't lay up. Be a man. <laughs> and Curtis says, come down here and say that to my face. I guess Curtis had just bogeyed or no oh, bogeyed. God. Oh. And a big scene. They have to. They have to separate. They have to get Curtis out of there. He's madder than hell. He's in the locker room telling people this is ridiculous. How fans. And so they go to the fan, the the the, the writer of the Seattle Times. Why'd you do that? Well, Mitch Levy told, told oh, me that. Oh God. So I'm now in the middle of it, and it's all over the newspapers. And so I have to. And then I have to call. Um, Chuck Nelson, who was involved with the uh, the tournament, you know Chuck Nelson, sure, the, the kicker. former kicker, yeah, yeah. and say, "Can I apologize?" No, it'd be better off if you didn't come oh, and no. apologize. I said, "I'll come and apologize to Curtis. <laughs> I'll tell him it was off the cuff, whatever." It was just a just a mess. Words can be powerful. So I don't know why I'm thinking of that yes. story when you tell me the story of Dory telling the guy whatever he told the guy. Dory and, telling his own story, so, yeah, of, and, then, yeah, yeah. and then a catastrophe happened. This is a little bit less of a catastrophe, yeah, yeah. but anyway. Curtis Strange has been pissed ever since. Will you tell that radio guy? You know, I gotta say though, he asked you, and you gave a really good answer. Oh, Jesus, I guess I did. <laughs> and you really did. On who, who would be a good guy to heckle? Oh, jeez, that was a great answer. Oh God, that's funny. I pick up the newspaper just before my round, and I realize, and I love the Boeing Classic, and yeah, I yeah. love Chuck, and I love Michelle Delance, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I just realized that I had just screwed the whole thing. It was just a oh, big God. mess, because, all because I told a guy that Curtis Strange. I guess he does have a temper. <laughs> he literally challenged the guy to come down. To, and by the way, the stands that were always there behind the tee box, they, that was the last year they moved the stands. Oh, no way. So that nobody could, could be sitting in the stands drinking and, and, uh, and teasing And the by players. the 14th, you know, you, you've had a few in you by, by the time you get to the 14th. So he was, that's awesome. And he's just bogeyed a few holes. <laughs> right. And, oh God. Bad combo. All right. Other stuff segment. The coronavirus struck out a few major leaguers Saturday. Did you see this? Former Mariners pitcher Felix Hernandez is among them. His agent says that Hernandez, King Felix, who was signed to a minor league contract by the Atlanta Braves, is not going to play in 2020 because of fears for the coronavirus. He's going to skip it like a lot of other major leaguers who are skipping the 60 game. And it just makes me wonder, Hotshot, minor league deal. We all saw what Felix was looked like at the end of his career. Could it be 
that we've seen the last. Could it be that Felix Hernandez will never throw another pitch in Major League Baseball, that his career ends because he refuses and declines to put his family at risk by going to, to camp with the Atlanta Braves? Don't I think know. you get to save a little face by saying it's because of the virus, but he's probably just got nothing left. We saw him. So that's, that would be my first instinct. He's got nothing. I was curious to see how he was going to do, though. In a, in a, in a minor hope, league situation, I, I kind of hope that I'm done. wrong. I hope that in 2021 he says, "No, no, no, I'm I'm fresh. I got a year off. I'll come back and try to do this again." But I guess there's a chance, and if there is a chance, he's one of my all-time favorite Seattle Mariners. In yeah. the 25 years that I moved here or that I've lived here, there are very few athletes, if any athletes, that I think deserve the kind of hero reaction that Felix Hernandez has received all these years for wanting to be here on a bad team and a bad organization and a bad situation, could have gone anywhere, could have signed as a free agent anywhere, could have forced his way out like other stars that we've talked about, but always just wanted to start and finish his career with the Seattle. I love Felix Hernandez for that. And if this is the end of Felix Hernandez, I say tip of the cap to King. Hell of a run for him. There you go. God, what he could have got paid by the Yankees at some point in his career. Good Lord. All right, is the Ellen Ellen Show canceled? Have you been following this? No. The Ellen Show. I know you love Ellen. It can't be canceled. Well, there were some rumors going around that it was canceled. The producers have come out, though, and they've spoken up to deny the rumors that it's being canceled. Fox News reported on Thursday. But after a report from The Sun, the daytime talk show might be canceled due to some failed or some falling ratings and rumors that DeGeneres is mean to her staff, as we've as we've discussed to that. I mean, you're delivering this with a smile. You like this story. I just don't think she's a nice person. Really? Yeah. Her ratings have fallen 14 percent. It's okay to not be a nice person, but please don't give me this facade of the dancing and the oh, and the whole thing. Woo! Really? Be, be nice to everyone. God, she owns the show, doesn't she? I don't know if she owns she, it. It was scheduled she, to run she through makes 2022. Like 100 million a year or oh, yeah. something like that, doesn't she? Gets paid in full. She'll yes. be okay if they do cancel it. Right? I think she'll land on her feet somehow financially if they cancel yeah, I think it. Yes. Be all right. Yeah. Is it a fait complete, ladies and gentlemen? Have the Redskins played their final game? The Washington Redskins. Item number three on the other stuff segment is the Redskins and Dan Snyder, the infamous, diminutive owner of the Washington Redskins who has always said, over my dead body, will they change the name of this team? It looks like it's not going to take a dead corpse (laughs) because now everybody wants out. His partners want out. FedEx FedEx wants out, and they have the naming rights on the team. But most importantly, most importantly, he wants the the old RFK Stadium site to build a new a new football stadium. He wants a new football stadium. Dan mm. Snyder does, and he can't have that site unless he changes the name. It looks now all indications are the Redskins have played their final game. They're going to change the name after all of these years. He's in a corner now, isn't he? Has no choice. Yeah, really has no choice if he wants to get anything like a new stadium or any kind of spot. All the sponsors are pulling. Everywhere. Nike has taken the Redskins off of their... I mean, this is just... It's just gone completely south on him. So now the question is, what will be the next name of the Washington NFL team? I saw Warriors as a suggestion. There have been a number of suggestions, but it looks like that the top suggestion so far is the Red Tails. Is that a bird? No. The Red Tails. I'm glad that you don't know, because uh, I don't know that I knew that the, the, the World War II heroic... Tuskegee Airmen. Oh, yes. Familiar with that. They were called the Red Tails. Okay. They were a diverse group, African-American group, who were heroes in World War II. They had their, the tails of their planes were 
were colored red so that they knew enemies from oh gotcha yeah, you know yeah. and uh and a lot of people in the washington in the nation's capital think the washington red tails would pay homage to that group it'd be the perfect group to pay homage to and it would feel like the redskins but it would be right. the red tails and we would get used to it very very quickly right i like it did Tony Dungy come out and say he's not? He will never utter the word Redskins yeah. again. When I, it's funny. When I was working with Gas at KJR and I had to talk about them, it felt weird even in 2011, 2012 to say that really? word for some never reason. Never felt weird to me, but I guess Well, you lived in Washington. Yeah. Maybe it just yeah. feels normal. But yeah. I mean, it just like doesn't, just feels really weird. So I always said Washington, and I which think is confusing. By the way, I think the Cleveland Seattle. Indians are, are next. Yeah. I think the Cleveland Indians are going to change their name. I think this is all going in the direction of being absolutely certain that we're not offending anybody with team names what about florida state florida state might be another could one could be could they, be they had an old game on for it was uh, the atlanta braves from 2018 and they're doing the tomahawk yeah. chop. chief nakahoma it does it in just the, in, in center field it was like 2018 it wasn't that long ago no. they're still doing it no and it felt very antiquated they don't do it anymore is that they right done it in years okay yeah, i don't think they do it anymore oh, i thought it was a little more i think recent, chief but... no, i think chief is done all right chief nakahoma rest in peace to boise state's baseball program this kind yeah, of bummed me this. out i, I heard you this. saw that yeah and also the women's swimming and diving team. After 40 years, I mean, if your son Max got a full ride to Boise State to play baseball, boy, it's Division One, right? To Boise State, and that's a you know big school. How bummed would you be that they cut the program to save 2.2 million dollars? Doesn't seem like much. Again, it's not my money. Who am I to spend their money? But 2.2 million in the scheme of things, mm. when you're charging that much for tuition. Sorry, everyone. Alaska Airlines has announced the new yellow cards are in. Yellow cards. Yes. Is that the new name of a new pro team? In soccer, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. In soccer, don't they um, hand out oh. cards? Oh, yeah. Yellow and be, red. Yeah, they're going to be handing out on Alaska <laughs> Airlines yellow cards. What do you get a yellow card if you do, Hotshot? Uh, don't wear a mask? Yes. Nice. For passengers who refuse or don't wear a mask, you could get a yellow card, which allows the airline at that point to consider suspending you from future flights. Wow. Yep. Now, don't get that card confused with the one at the Brazilian Steakhouse. Where they, you, know, you ever been to a Brazilian Steakhouse? I've been there once. Put- we just went to the one up in Factoria not too long ago. Oh, it's still open. Yeah. Oh, well, I know. No, I'm talking about a year, uh, six months ago, before all this. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, you put the card up, and then th- they know that you want more more beef, and they come over and they cut oh, it see, off for you. I don't remember you. doing that. Ah, all right. No. Well, yeah. it would have been funnier had <laughs> you remembered. Anyway, so you get Sorry a yellow card. You get a yellow <laughs> card if you don't wear your mask on Alaska Airlines, and then if you get a yellow card, you are subject to be suspended from future flights. That's it. I told you my sister flew up. Go to the penalty box. She flew up from Arizona a couple of weeks ago, and she said there was hardly anyone. The the flight was packed, and hardly anyone had masks on, except for her and my niece. She couldn't believe it, that some people are still not wearing masks. Yeah, I know. Don't get me started. Don't get me started. I know, I won't. All right, are the... Texas A&M, I just saw this on the way, like before I came over to your house. Are they in trouble? Did the NCAA announce that yes, there's some sanctions? Yes, Jimbo Fisher. Isn't Jimbo Fisher? Yeah, there's some sanctions for for some improper, not benefits, but maybe contact, maybe? Yeah, it says his head coach, they, they uh, sorry, responsibility rules. He failed to promote an atmosphere of compliance because yeah. of his personal involvement in the recruiting violation. Yeah. The Texas A&M I think there was some improper, yeah, I don't think it's going to be that serious. Okay, I was I, wondering. Improper contact, that's right. Uh, how about this one? You've undoubtedly heard about this one. <laughs> some young people in Alabama are throwing COVID-19 parties, Hotshot. You just took one you, of mine. You're, you're, you're outraged that people are still not wearing masks? <laughs> right. Well, let me throw this one at you. <laughs> yeah. A disturbing competition where people who have coronavirus attend and the first person to get infected receives a payout 
Local officials said, we thought that this was kind of a rumor at first. We did some research. Not only do the doctor's offices confirm it, but the state confirmed that they also had the same information. So there are parties happening in Alabama where you're getting rewarded for testing positive for the coronavirus. So 18, 19, 20-year-olds are going to just ruin this for everybody. They're the ones who can't control themselves. What are we going to do? Well, what are we going to do? There are others that can't control themselves. And that takes me to my next story, which I'll do real quickly, because adults can't control themselves either. Competitive banter on the field during baseball games is a norm between teams and typically stretches into the bleachers among fans. But one school district in Iowa is saying comments made during a high school game cross the line. A black player for Charles City High School heard, quote, Several bigoted comments yelled from the crowd during a game played on June 27th, according to an online statement from the Charles City Community School District and information from the school district's communications director. The school district didn't name the player, uh, but Jeremiah Chapman, who says he's the only black player on the Charles City High School team, told CNN that he heard fans yell, and I quote, hotshot, you should have been George Floyd Get back to the fields. It's nice. 2020, we're still doing that? 2020. Yeah. Yeah, a friend of mine sent me a video of a lady painting over the Black Lives Matter thing and All Lives Matter. And I throw my hands up. Right, right. I throw my hands up. So. Here we are, everybody. Say, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. All right, are you ready for my last one? Yeah. You sure? I, I'm assuming that you're going to go... In a, in a better and more uplifting direction than that one. Well, Because that one just really bums yeah, me out. Yeah, it feels like it's daily, though, doesn't it? Well, maybe my head is in the clouds. I hope, I sure hope not. I just can't believe there are people like this. But, right. But apparently there are. Right. Yeah. All right. This, this may uplift you a little bit. Oh, God. I mean, it, it may not. <laughs> a 40-year-old man. Oh, no. Identified only as Mr. Who. Mr. Who. H-U. Okay. Reportedly fell asleep or more likely passed out. Yeah. After downing 10 bottles of beer during a heavy drinking session the night prior without using the restroom, reports Juji Daily, which I get delivered every day. I told you. <laughs> so he fell asleep. Drank 10. Such made up. Drank, well, take ahead. it up with the Juji Daily, all right, if you don't believe me. <laughs> okay. After experiencing searing abdominal pains, uh-huh. the man got himself to the hospital where a CAT scan revealed his bladder was torn in three places. Torn? Yes. With the 10 beers in there? It just exploded. Right. And one of his... It came apart at the seams. One of the the holes had ruptured toward the patient's abdominal cavity and forced part of his intestines to spill into the bladder. Okay, I got it. Did you have to go there? I got the sight. I I got the visual. All right. It's a complication the doctors deem potentially fatal, if not fixed immediately. Fortunately, they were able to save whose life via emergency surgery and he's since been released from the hospital after making a complete recovery but be careful everyone okay after okay. a big long night of drinking okay. the doctor took one look at him and said you're in bad shape <laughs> okay, the, the, Andy. apparently the man's recovering at home Andy. he's recovering at home he's relaxing and playing video games mostly his nintendo wii <laughs> 10 bottles of beer without using the restroom I mean most people know that's way too many bottles you don't have to be a math whiz to know that <laughs> by the way I don't know if you remember this story there was a radio show a morning show a typical dipshit morning show you know like there's Mitch plenty the of yeah <laughs> they had a contest called hold your Wii for a Wii 
Are, hold your Wii for a Wii? Uh, Wii is a, a video game console. Oh, oh, hold W-I-I, your Wii. Yeah. it's a Nintendo. Yeah. yeah. And somebody passed away during that contest. Can you imagine? They, they, it must be. Well, I don't, I don't understand sort of, the contest. Hold your Wii for who a can, Wii. Who can not go to the, the bathroom the longest while drinking water or whatever they have to do? You have to hold your Wii, your Wii Wii, you know, your, your urine inside your body, and whoever does the longest wins oh, the Wii console. What does it have console. to do with the video game? I guess I'm, I'm confused. Whoever, whoever wins gets the console. The, the, oh, gets the Wii. Oh, yeah. that's hold your Wii for a wit. <laughs> now you want to do it, don't you? <laughs> but somebody died doing that. I remember reading that. Really? Yeah, and I remember... You can th- die doing that? I, yeah, I guess. And I remember thinking, that's definitely something we would have done. <laughs> like, I, mean, I could totally, oh, I could totally <laughs> see us thinking we're so funny. And doing now, something you, like that. Just, just to clarify, when you say we, you mean your old <laughs> yeah, show, not, right. not we, as in we. Correct. Yeah, you're the, talking the, about the not we we. Yeah, yeah, that's we're right. We're talking about you you. Okay? Correct. Yes, right. not you you. All right, that's it for me. Use the restroom, everyone, after you drink ten bottles. Of Episode beer. Wayne Gretzky, of course, in the books.